pressing my button. Okay, has everyone pressed their buttons? <laughs> it's pressed. Yeah. Thundercats are go. Yay. <clears throat> Why did I see it? I was just skipping through my discords and I saw a big AJJ meme. Oh, okay, they did KK Slider in the Can't Maintain album. You know, like, like someone who decorated their entire room with Sufjan albums on the wall. I sort of respect that. I don't feel that strong about most of his album arts. I like the, like, culture of, like, album art. It's like, hey, I'll just use, like, an old picture of my dad. (laughs) (laughs) Just a house. It's valid. Has any one of you ever been to to Abbey Road? People are constantly trying to (laughs) recreate the fucking Beatles album cover. If you go to M&M World in London, then they've got an M&M version, which is better. I think I've been to that. Is it, like, the big-ass M&M store? Yes. I've been there. Like, there was, like, one guy who started filling up, like, a bowl with m and M&Ms of all colors, and in the end, he had to pay like thirty pounds for M&Ms. <laughs> yeah, like, the world's most expensive. I was M&M. gonna ask, like, are we talking about the man or the candy? Mm, both. <laughs> candy <laughs> Who can take a sunrise? If an M&M put on concerts in M&M World, I think that would be a pleasurable experience. It would be like the Oscars <laughs> this year. Was that this year? Yes. Yeah, it was this year that, like, Billy Eilish looked weird at him or something. I don't even oh, remember yeah. what the thing was. It got, like, everything that happened before the COVID outbreak. Yes, in the before times. In, in 2020 <laughs> feels like it was a different decade. I have lost all sense of time. My, my sleep schedule is fucked up. Is it, though? When's your sleep schedule? Try me. I feel like you guys have entirely regular sleep Oh, schedules. yeah, compared to you, yes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, welcome to... A song of Okay, we're just kids. going. We're starting. <laughs> we're ready, apparently. <laughs> it's baby time and it's puppy time. You don't need it's to feel like right. 40 minutes at the beginning of every episode. I did just want to say that it's Fiona Apple's world and we're just living in it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Fiona. Thank you, Fiona. Books. This is a book that came out in uh, the year 2000. The third book in the series is the longest book in the series in my books. In the novels, write the book in the first book. Books. In the uh, books. Books. The fifth book is about to come out. Two books. And in the books. He does that in the books, too. Welcome to A Song of Babies and Puppies. This is the only A Song of Ice and Fire podcast hosted by people who will never log on to Reddit. My name is Janos and... Kalisi said I had potential. <laughs> uh, I'm Chaz, and I always was a man for stating the obvious. <laughs> uh, I'm Ducky, I am guess I'm guesting today, and uh, I'm Drogo Get Sepsis. Yeah! Yay, very good. Uh, hi, I'm a boy with the unfortunate name of Reiner, and I only podcast to spite my dad. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I forgot nicknames existed. And you're valid. I don't have one. Uh, God, I spent... Who are you, though? You still have to say your name. Remember your name. <laughs> okay. So you're saying your no-nips name. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Work with me. <laughs> I'm Emmanuel, so known as... I uh, woke up 20 minutes ago frantically, tried to organize all of my notes and reread three chapters in that time. Are you reading them twice before every episode? I kind of had to with these ones because... So the first time I read them, I was like, Ah, yes, there's many, many symbolisms happening here. And, like, didn't have the <laughs> wow, brain... Wow, cool something. 
Yeah, yeah. And I just, like, didn't have the brain energy at that moment to, like, start taking notes. So I just, like, read it. That was on, like, Wednesday. And then, like, last night I was like, oh, yeah, I didn't write anything. So I had to do it again. Before we get to the chapters, happy weed day. How did everyone spend their weed day? I hope everyone just smoked weed every day, all day, I wish. 24 hours. I wish I was smoking weed, but I, <laughs> I had to go to fucking that's, online school. It was disgusting. Illegal. I had to practice juggling. What was the last word you said there? Uh, juggling. Okay. <laughs> oh, are you a juggalo? <laughs> Not yet. It just sounded like you said juggling, and I was like... I don't know that one. <laughs> Every day I'm juggling. It's true. Juggling is my favorite uh, secret life of American teenager rewatch podcast. <laughs> did I did I ever tell? I think I posted it in Pika Chat at, at some point. My very embarrassing uh, 420 anecdote from like I don't remember. Teens. Well, uh, there was a time in my life in my early teens when I did not yet know what uh, 420 meant. <laughs> But what I unfortunately did know, because that's something you know when you live in Austria, is that April 20th is also the birthday of uh, one Adolf oh, no. Hitler. So mm -hmm. uh, when I saw all the people posting Happy 420 on like Facebook <laughs> and uh, other social media, I thought, like, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Like, uh, all, these, all these stoners are neo-Nazis now? What's, what's going on? <laughs> Gladly, at some point, I, I learned the truth of it, and uh, I was very relieved that uh, not everyone's a neo-Nazi. Yeah, smoking smoking weed does not make you fascist. <laughs> That's good. Reason yeah. madness. I'm trying to think if they have weed in Westeros. They had weed in Vampire Times, which is a blessing to know. I feel yeah. like there must be some kind of grass that people smoke somewhere. Yeah. Isn't that ghost grass in the Dothraki Sea? That's not yeah, weed, you don't though. smoke that, though. You, you can't even eat yeah. it. It'll kill you. I mean, weed also kills you, don't you know? <laughs> that classic poisonous drug of weed. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, look at this dank nug. It's got the souls of the damned inside it. Yeah. Classic. <laughs> All right. So there are no news this week, I think. And I didn't look. I didn't even bother looking any news up, but I'm yeah. certain there's nothing. <laughs> nothing new. Let me, I guess I'll go to Mr. Martin's Twitter. I haven't checked the Express today, so... No one even thought about the Winds of Wind and, uh, last week, so... I think he did, like, another coronavirus update where he said, I am writing the Winds of Winter in my mountain house at the top of the mountain, isolated from everyone. <laughs> Good, he needs to be safe. He's in the ear. Yeah. yeah. Which is basically just the same thing he said the last two weeks. He's our, our little sweet Robin. Stowed away in a safe plate. I want George our to be safe. Our, our sweet George. I want George to be safe in his hermetically sealed bunker, and I want Joe Biden to come and give everyone a big old kiss. <laughs> Just a thought. That would be very epic. I think there's there's better ways of getting Joe Biden sick on the Rona. I, think, I don't think he has to kiss anyone. I'm just saying, you know, he should go interact with all those brave people who are suffering in America's hospitals right now, if he really cares about us. Yeah. Well, you can just do the Boris Johnson method yeah. of licking floors. God. Just let them cough into his open mouth. Really? Yeah, I don't want him touching anyone. That's a good point. He touched enough people. As long as he gets the Rona. In a video game. Uh <laughs> I just looked at George's Twitter and like I scrolled down a bit and there's like the Twitter's who to follow section and they recommend me Maisie Williams of the show, A mm -hmm. Game of Thrones. And her 
uh, Twitter bio is just the words, I am a squid. And I, I'm thinking this must be like some sort of secret messaging that maybe she heard from George that in the end it turns out that uh, Arya is secretly a Greyjoy, but the cowards of David and Dan didn't bother putting that into the show. Uh, speaking of cucks, the first chapter is Tyrion. <laughs> uh... I volunteered to summarize this chapter, and it is so long. So you could probably just say, like, uh, the battle happens and if, when it gets to yeah, that okay. point. <laughs> yeah, okay. I was going to say that I have a disease where when a battle happens in a book, I literally don't remember anything that happens in it. It just oh, goes, I'm like, straight out of my brain. Same, like, I'm like, someone, not... someone hit someone, and then someone fell over. There was blood, maybe? I don't know. I mean, the, um, the same disease is, like, had by the show itself, right? <laughs> it's pointed in the head. <laughs> I mean, I, I get bored in, in movies and TV shows yeah, when there's too. an action scene that, like, goes on for too long or isn't, like, telling a story while the action happens. And in a book, when when my brain has to do the work of, of like, imagining all the, all the fighting and, like, how the battle is laid out and stuff, I just zone out. I just imagine like a five second clip of the Battle of Helm's Deep and then that's it. The only reason I, I paid attention during this one is there was a lot of, there's a lot going on class wise. So I got my Marxism bookmark and we can yeah. talk about that. That's good. <laughs> okay, I'm going to summarize. Tyrion arrives uh, at Lord Tywin's table and they have a bit of banter back and forth. Tyrion feels bad. He really wants to eat a pig, but Tywin tells him that he's going to be in the vanguard and he's not going to be commanding it. Um, Gregor Clegane is going to be commanding it rather than Tyrion. Um, they have some conversations. Wait, did you say Gregor Clegane? I thought he was dead. Weird. No, actually, it turns out he's fine. Huh. Not only is he fine, he's got a massive horse. He's also got a big sword. He has a pretty big sword, but it looks small on him because he's so fucking big. Um, I heard so... this, that's his thing, like being big. Yeah. It's it's a gimmick, I guess. He's kind of captain of being large. <laughs> yeah, he's a big boy. Uh, okay, so Tyrion is like, oh, I'm going to take my clansmen and I'm going to fight really good. So actually, I'm not going to die in the vanguard. Um, Tywin's like, they're undisciplined, so you're probably going to, they're probably going to die. Um, Tyrion's like, my brother Jamie can always make people die for him, but I can't do that. I can only give them gold, which is a self awareness, I guess. Also, Jamie, Jamie would never do that. Like uh, using using his wealth and his name to get out of any sticky situations or something. Like that's not something. I was interested Jamie, in this. Jamie ever does or would do? Because I never thought of Jamie as actually inspiring people to follow yeah. him. Really, because he doesn't for a lot of the story. <laughs> Much. I guess in like comparison to Tyrion, he's very inspiring. Well, if you think about Jamie yeah. also with respect, like, he he's inspiring the Lannister men. And if you're a Lannister man and you yeah. see someone who's like, like you know big, sexy, powerful like Jamie, then maybe he is good at like having that yeah. rapport with mm. his men. I mean, I guess you have like John in the early chapters as well, who's like, this is what a king looks like. Or yeah, this is what a king should be great catch. Okay. But also like every, everyone's always like, oh, the the dishonorable uh, Kingslayer. Yeah. It's like half the people like him and half of them think he's worse, dishonor man. Okay, Tyrion is like, I don't want to eat the pig anymore because I'm grumpy. So he goes off to find his friends um, and they're cooking like a big pig. Um, he finds Bronn and Bronn's got him a sex worker named Shay and a squire named Podrick Payne. Yeah, Tyrion basically told Bronn to find like a young one 
who was pretty. Um, so Bronn stole her off a camp, some one of the soldiers, I suppose. Uh, they have sex. It's fine. Shay's like got good banter, I suppose. She's very professional. Yeah, she's very good. She's like highly skilled. Yeah, she's really good at her and job. Tyrion is like, I know she's only pretending this, but yeah. I'm gonna forget about this for the rest of my life. <laughs> yeah, Ty- Tyrion's like, I'm dumb, and if people pretend to like me, I will convince myself that it's true, which is sort of sad. I mean, at this point, he's he's still very like aware of the situation and okay like uh, this is what i want from you and uh, this is a, yeah. a transaction and you're doing a job he's paying for the for the girlfriend experience yeah exactly yes he knows yeah. it at this point i don't think he never forgets it but he does mm. um it's like oh it's in the back of his mind like being a mm. dwarf is the entire time but he still is like affected emotionally by you know the relationship so anyway yeah um, Tyrion is like, Bronn, please tell me you didn't make me an enemy. And Bronn's like, don't worry, it'll be fine. We're probably all gonna die tomorrow anyway. Tyrion goes back to see Shay. Shay calls him my giant of Lannister. And then suddenly, while they're sleeping, there's battle horns, and Shay's afraid because it turns out that the Stark host is early than they thought that they were gonna be, and they're gonna have to fight. So Tyrion puts on those of mismatched armor and goes on the left by the river as part of the vanguard. He looks around and realizes that it's really weak and it's full of untrained soldiers and peasants. Uh, And he's like, oh, okay, so this was put here literally to die and to fail. Um, The clansmen are all like yelling, half man. So maybe they do like him. And the northerners charge and they fight them and they have some fighty stuff and they're doing some fighting and then there's some more fighting. Gregor hits some people with a sword. It's great. The North, the Northmen begin to fail. They have some more battles. Uh, Tyrion nearly dies, but then his horse saves him by biting the cheek off a man. Um, then another knight tries to hit him with a morning star and is like, do you yield? And Tyrion's like, I yield. And then he hits his horse on the bottom with his spiked helmet, making the horse fall on the knight. And then the knight yields. And it's a, it's a great, it's a great moment. Cunning Tyrion. <laughs> Tyrion's trick. <laughs> Uh, Tyrion is like now he's like battle hardened and he goes to see his dad and he's like huh you thought I was gonna die but I didn't so take that and Tywin's like yeah interesting but where's Rob Stark and everyone's like oh shit he's not here and a bunch of people are dead Lord Bolton has escaped and they realise that Rob has crossed at the twins and he's riding for River Run and Tyrion's like oh shit we underestimated Rob Stark. Turns out he does have some plan. And that's the end of the chapter. And when they say he does have some plan, I simply must believe it because I still have no real idea how this works. <laughs> I'm just I'm just simply nodding every time when there's like, mm, mm. war strategy. Yeah. These war strategies are very <laughs> smart. Sure, if you say so. I don't know anything about war strategy. Yeah. I just think of like when they fight one-on-one in the Iliad and I nod and smile. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, from from what I understand, Rob has basically is is trying to split uh, split the Lannister forces up so that he can retake River Run, right? Yeah, yeah. That's basically all that it. all that happens is that they thought his entire army was in one place, and really he yeah he sent his foot to keep Tywin busy so that he could go free River Run. That's it in a nutshell. Because if he hadn't set this sent this army, and he goes to like fight 
against Riverrun, then Tywin could have come all the way behind him and, like, sandwiched him. Ooh, there was brief mention of Jick somewhere as well. Yeah, I, I was just going to yeah. that. that. <laughs> it our, was, our boy Jick, we miss I you. I think it was when, uh, when like, uh, he sent Bronn to get him a... Uh, uh, sex worker, and then like he basically remembered how Jick did the. Yeah, he says that that Jick he didn't always like warn the the sex workers. He. Oh yeah. He... Oh, that was yeah, it. Yeah, 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 that was that. Uh, that he's a dwarf, and like they. Yeah, he didn't them, like, like they, they look shocked when they first yeah. saw him. Yeah. yeah. I love this character development we get for Jick. Mm. <laughs> in retrospect, <laughs> after he died, he was mentioned twice at this point, yeah. and that's two more than I expected. He was Tyrion's best friend in the world. Yeah. I, I do like how even these very, very minor characters in A Song of Ice and Fire get just a little bit more to flesh them out. So it's like it makes the world feel yeah. very large. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like this would never happen. Like in the, not to mention the show again, but like in the show, major characters who die would <laughs> never get mentioned again. Oh, like like Eager, who never gets True. mentioned again. Hell. <laughs> Jon Snow says, I know nothing, in parentheses, <laughs> characters from my past. He doesn't have a past. He died, and now he remembers nothing. He died, and nothing <laughs> changed, and, and it didn't matter. Is that spoilers? Uh, for the show. From the show. He only Ooh, died in the show. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know if he's going to die in the books or not. No one That's is true. safe. Yeah, we're, I think we're assuming that people might have seen the show. These three chapters, George kills so many horses... It's a real horse slaughter. <laughs> yeah, this, this is he has That's a real true, horse yeah. problem. Yeah, I was thinking about that really a lot in terms of like what that represents in terms of economic investment. Uh, you know, to kill oh, yeah. a horse, uh, it it sort of shows if, if if the if the meaning and the and the theme of this book, not the theme of this book is about the mm-hmm. the impact of of the Game of Thrones, so to speak, on on the common people, which obviously is more of a theme of feast, but is in here too. Like, imagine how much work goes into raising a horse and breeding a horse, and then yeah. like they're just cut yeah. down, like the like the mm. destruction of war. George hates war so much, and I love to see it. Every chapter, he burns another car. Like, yeah, a good a good war horse was worth more like most peasants ever owned in their life, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of like just like pack horses and and like field work horses here too that the yeah. common folk are riding so that's like their livelihood but yeah. these are like the lamborghini of horses yeah i mean like the knights are riding in on their like mclaren f1 or whatever and the uh yeah. common folk are riding in on their tractors and it's like <laughs> the track you need the tractor to fucking live whenever you go back home because exactly. otherwise you gotta yeah. plow the field <laughs> by hand mm. is any one of you like a, a horse expert who can tell the difference between all the different names for horses that we get like i have absolutely no idea like i know Not it's something really, like no. uh, like male and female horses and whether they are like uh... well, there's a destroyer which is like a male battle horse <laughs> is it just breeds or like i'm uh... sorry i keep like laughing at words you say funny but just <laughs> 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 <Destrier. laughs> I thought it was Destrier, but maybe I'm wrong. Des, des, Destrier. 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 Is it French? <laughs> destroyer. Destroyer. <laughs> I would rather destroyer. I mean, they kind of are destroyers yeah. when you think about it. They're freaking big. Uh, yeah, there's the Destroyers, uh, 
a stallion mare, obviously. Gelding is just a castrated horse, like, not a stallion. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've, like, learned about the horses because of these books. <laughs> the, the, a lot of the names are for, like, what the horse is for. So, like, a destrier, it's not yeah. a specific breed of horse. It's just a, a one that you'd use for war because it's big and it's mm-hmm. trained to yeah. um, not be afraid of, like, blood or charging into a fucking wall of spears or like horns or loud noises and stuff loves to eat man flesh yeah they're like trained to bite there's like coursers and roundsies and yeah there's a bunch of shit there's so much we're gonna talk about this chapter a lot i like there's a lot going on here class wise let's talk about that i was gonna say because once we get into the myth section this is gonna be like i'm gonna be talking for like fucking three hours so but oh. like, okay. <laughs> let's just as we uh look at reddit through the lens of uh the express let's look at this battle through the lens of marxism okay um well someone made i think it was uh Chaz made the great point that Tyrion realizes that he's being sent in to die um, and to fail, and uh, you know, Braun specifically refers to uh, the sort of the vanguard of of um, that Tyrion's in as as crow food, and they're described as the sweepings of the West, just you know, people who have no chance. And uh, I think it's also interesting that that uh, Tywin puts the mountain clans there, so it's kind of like um, shows the the disdain that the lowland Westerosi have for them. You could also look at it through an imperialist lens uh, that way, uh, where it's like mm-hmm. they. Uh, Tyrion wanted to, like, use them to to conquer the Vale, but when Tywin, you know, manages to manipulate them, he's like, I'll just um, destroy them. Like, to him, they're nothing more than, like, the common folk who he clearly has disdain for as well. Like, it's it's just a massive destruction of, of human life, um, but, but specifically the lives that they consider less worthy because they're lower class. And it's just, they are not one of his quote-unquote resources. They are yeah. absolutely yeah. expendable to him. Yeah. I just wonder as well that Tyrion has a small measure of control over them, and I wonder if Tywin also wants to destroy any control that Tyrion has, or any, like, army that Tyrion has, because he doesn't want Tyrion to gain any power. Yeah, he doesn't want Tyrion to have any power that doesn't come from him. Like, he he expertly manipulated them away from Tyrion, and now they're his, so he can destroy them if he wants, yeah. They're like a market externality, it's free, it's free real estate (laughs) he just just got these 300 men for free and he's like yeah yeah time to just throw them into the grinder i i found it a bit weird that uh, Tyrion was offended that he didn't get the command of the vanguard because (laughs) i I would assume that he's someone who doesn't want to be like absolutely on the front line so it's just he's offended because like his dad doesn't like appreciate him but i'm sure he 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 doesn't want to command in battle i, I assume but um, it's just the slide from his you know head, in, but, in vampire times even if you're dog shit at commanding you're expected if you're like noble to have a command like that's why he says yeah. you know okay. if he doesn't have yeah. a command for me uh, even though he has no experience and he has no skill and he's not a good fighter like he's not jamie but he just expects it as part of his like class inheritance mm. yeah i was wondering about that in the jamie Maybe I'll come back to it in the Jamie chapter, but has Jamie ever actually like commanded forces before? Because there hasn't—he's been in the Kingsguard, and there hasn't been that many wars since he was like an adult. Uh, he fought in the Greyjoy Rebellion. I don't know if he got any men to lead then. I mean, he is officially like warden of the East, I think, right? Which is the military commander of like the. Yeah, but he hasn't done anything with with that yet. Technically, yeah, he hasn't done anything, but. Because I was wondering if he had to be 
by the king during like the Great Dewey Rebellion and stuff, like guarding him? It depends. The king can do anything. There's like precedent for. Um, we see at least with the a third book, probably another example that I can't think of that Books. gives the vanguard to the fifth book. So it's like you can you can use your king's guard as uh, battle commanders, and they can be you know far from you or whatever. I and also I think Rhino, you were saying like Tyrion wouldn't want to command because he wouldn't want to like lead the charge. You don't necessarily have yeah. to do that if you're commanding. Okay. You can lead from the back and make, some, okay. make somebody else do that. Oh, he just wants the, the title, or what? Yeah, yeah. And I guess also, like, the Cleganes are kind of considered like a, a shitty low-tier house, right? So Yeah, they're, in terms yeah. of class... Being commanded by Clegane especially is, is a slight to him. Yeah, they're, yeah. they were kennel masters, so they don't have, like, you know, noble blood. They're not... Like, Tyrion doesn't see them mm. as a class equal. Yeah. Yeah, it's like no. second, second generation uh, noble house, right? A third, basically. Then it's their landed knights. That's it. Their new money. <laughs> I will say, I, I love Tyrion's spiky helmet that he uses to fight with. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tyrion gets a unicorn helmet too. Nice. Oh, I forgot to <laughs> forgot to mention Tywin's like really really swaggy Ooh, like. Yeah. Oh yeah, paint. this MF. And like his big his big lion helmet and like the big lions on his shoulders. He's just gold you know, and rubies. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's too much. It's a bit too much, I think. Bit much. I I also <laughs> like um uh, how much thought George puts into everyone's outfit because you know in Vampire Times clothing is is representative of class and it is like so much of what you what you portray yourself as and your image is your clothing and clothing is such a status symbol like even regular clothing not to mention what Tywin has on. Um, it's like an extravagant display of wealth and he's wearing it into battle so he clearly doesn't care that much if it gets fucked up. Um, George just puts yeah. so much thought yeah, into like it. That, I love it. Like that that armor is worth like three or four farms probably. <laughs> <laughs> Something in that. Yeah, probably way more than that Something actually. Like that, yeah. Just yeah, absurd, absurd conspicuous consumption and, and, and wealth on mm. display. I mean, he is Tywin. People say he's mm. shitting gold. Yeah, it is. So, it makes yeah. a lot of sense for his character. Which is just a saying. Yeah, his armor <laughs> is worth three toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he has golden toilet? Maybe. I don't Maybe. know. Dude, I don't like... I'm glad that Graham doesn't like go into the, the like pooping and peeing so much because... Holy crap. <laughs> Does he not? I mean, he does a little bit, but, like, he doesn't talk about how, like, people just, like, would shit in a hole in the castle that, like, goes to the, you know, has a pipe to the bottom, but it's just a straight... And then they just, like, wipe their ass with straw or whatever, like, that they find on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have, like, that or the J.K. Rowling thing? (laughs) (laughs) If you're Roman, you got a sponge on a stick, which is pretty, pretty good. Yeah, we love to see it. I was going to say, whenever you were talking about the suggested to follow people on Twitter, whenever you're on Grimm's page, uh, it gave me J.K. Rowling. And I was like, <laughs> these are, this isn't, that's not right. That's not <laughs> what I want. <laughs> no thanks. <laughs> they're, they're very similar, is the thing. Because oh my both... god. <laughs> they're both so great at writing female characters. There was that, my... My like favorite uh, segment in Streetcast was when they read that article about seven reasons why Game of Thrones and Harry Potter are so similar, and like the first one was they're both based on books. <laughs> wow! I yeah. I love Streetcast, but I just I can't listen to their Game of Thrones opinions. I just have to skip. I can't. But other than that, I love them. 
They don't mention it too oh, often. Yeah, but... No, it, it's literally like one one or two episodes that I had to skip, but like everything else they're spot it's on about, like so. Bonus episode. Yeah. We need to get a petition started to make them reread uh, Feast Dance because. Yeah, when they said Feast Dance is bad, I almost started crying at work. Leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> don't talk to me or my large books again. <laughs> come, come on the show, the Zen ZC, and then we can like tell you why you're we can radicalize you yeah (laughs) talk talk at you about a song of ice and fire until you like it (laughs) i mean i'm sure we all agree with them about harry potter so we have common ground yeah (laughs) i have no opinions on harry potter oh you're 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 free I have read Harry Potter, but all my Harry Potter opinions are like their opinions because exactly. it's been so long ago. <laughs> I like. I was never gonna do the legwork of rereading those books to try and see, like, yeah. reevaluate them. They're heroes for doing that. Thank you, Liz and Zizi. <laughs> Thank you, Liz and Zizi. <laughs> <laughs> also, come on the show. Because we're doing like a reread pod of like books we really like, but like imagine mm. doing that of books that are like <laughs> mediocre to bad. They've read other <laughs> worse books on the bonus episodes too. Like they're so so yeah. strong. Oh, I, I follow a blog called Bad Books Good Times, and they do books on there that physically pain me. <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> on on like QAnon Anonymous, they read like they read Hillary's book on a bonus app oh like they love that podcast they had to watch like a conspiracy theory they also that um, was like really cheaply made they read like the the q uh like like a cobbled together book of all the insane like conspiracy theorists who wrote it and that was just yeah, yeah, absurd yeah, yeah. as well very funny though to listen to them read it God, I feel like reading Hillary Clinton's book is probably, like, just the same amount of psychic damage as, like, reading John McCain's fucking book or something. (laughs) (laughs) I did not know John McCain wrote a book, but that fact alone has caused me psychic damage. (laughs) Every fucking politician has. Hillary's book is, like, 400 pages, so that's also, like... Hillary's book just makes me think of that tweet which is like tissues ready pantsuit ready vibrator (laughs) ready (laughs) (laughs) and she writes like there's like entire chapters in the book where she just writes about how she came up with always wearing pantsuits wow yes queen fucking icon amazing genius we do stand we're forced to stand I'm not (laughs) are we moving on to Kathleen Because I did Speaking want to of say, feminism. I did want to say quickly that I think Castle Rock just looks like Trump's apartment. Okay, continue. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's got dungeons at the bottom of it that yeah. everybody's scared of. <laughs> mm, exactly mm. like Trump's apartment. Mm, and uh, Tywin's hands are so tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because um, he sends Tyrion to be hand for him. Oh shit! Uh, it's the song of ice and fire hand thing. We've already okay. did this joke class episode. Yeah. <laughs> the hands of gold are this small. Joke I mean, it, gets, it's it's, if, it's a gold mine of comedy. So yeah, if, if you believe like the Saturday Night <laughs> Live success, mine. this joke never gets old. Yeah. Well, what's the what's the song of ice and fire Fife, uh parallel? <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> shit. And something that Littlefinger says, probably. God. I fucking hate Littlefinger so much, it's unreal. Like, he doesn't appear in these chapters, but every time I see or think or conceive him, I need to go punch a wall. I hate him so much. Yeah, Yeah, we didn't need to do, like, our bad Littlefinger impressions for a while, huh? Yeah, it's been healing. 
Unfortunately, there's been a lot of Jorah since then. Oh, God, yeah. that's right. I'm pretty sure we get Littlefinger next week, right? When we have uh, oh, a Sansa chapter. Next week, there's an Arya and a Sansa chapter, so we're definitely going to get him. I have to say this Danny chapter was not great because Jorah appeared and he didn't die. <laughs> he did get fucking slashed in the in the body, though. He did get owned a little. Yeah, that was good. I did yeah, like it. Was injured. It was nice. Speaking of that, real quick, uh, there's a bunch of stuff in here that uh, of like axes and and stuff going through chainmail and plate mail and stuff like way too easily. Like I just want to mention again that eh, that doesn't that'd be really hard it's, to do. Yeah. It I doesn't have really no happen. Frame of reference, so I will trust you. Armor was good. It was, it did what it was intended to do, and mostly yeah, it's, it's it was lit- really, really hard to literally made to not be slashed by axes and swords, right? Yeah, but uh, there's the part where Shaga, at the end of the battle, his friend is Khan, son of Korat, is dead, rip in peace. Um, and Shaga has like a bunch of arrows in him. Yeah, Shaga, the absolute legend, is like Khan. full of arrows, but he's still <laughs> right, and he gets up and he's like, don't worry, guys. Oh, can I say I also, I love that cello survives. She whips. She's so good. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's got ears as well. She's got like four ears. She yeah. got four ears. <laughs> yeah, she leveled up her Blade of the Dark Moon Covenant <laughs> in Dark Souls because she got so many <laughs> tokens of reprisal. <laughs> yeah. So this might be a Dark Souls take, reference but... done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is, is, is cello like what... D&D's interpretation of Brienne was? (gasps) (laughs) Okay! (laughs) I think, uh, yeah, I think you're right. Strong woman, life's to kill. Epic. Damn, you have a point, you have a point. (laughs) But she was in the show, I think, right? Like when... uh... When Tyrion Who remember brings, season uh, one at this point? Yeah, I don't know. I don't she was probably Blame. an extra with like one line, maybe. Yeah. yeah. I'm not about to rewatch that show. <laughs> yep. Not worth it. There's some there's some scenes in season one and two that are really good, but they didn't Yeah. Individual scenes are good, but Yeah. Blackwater is good. That's it. Blackwater is pretty cool. And there's just like some really good acting, like We've mentioned, like, Maester Eamon's speech and MJ yeah. Mormon's speech and a bunch of Ned scenes anytime yeah, Ned just is... those clips, I guess. There's, there's yeah. play with her ass. Mm, yeah, that's <laughs> our... Right. Yeah, we mentioned... We got that one marked down. We got the should, Dark Souls reference marked be, down. Should be taught in every film school, yeah. <laughs> Sticking those boxes. Also, Tyrion broke his arm. So, that's pretty much it. I have, like, uh, one or two quick thoughts on the on the chapter one is just the the little line that uh, i really like that's uh, dusk had settled turning all the banners black and that's i mean you can interpret a lot into it that it's just uh, the whole arc of this series basically that when the night comes then all the banners will be black meaning like everyone will have to fight basically as the night's watch and uh, the the banners don't matter anymore where's that line that's in the Tyrion chapter, yeah. Like when he's when he's coming back from uh, from the meeting with uh, Tywin and like uh, okay, the camp. Okay. There's just this line: "Dusk had settled, turning all the banners black." Mm-hmm. And I I think it just means that, but you can interpret it as like foreshadowing, which I like. Yeah, yeah. Or it's just my conspiracy brain. 
uh, another really small line that I that I liked, um, just uh, not related to that, but it's a uh, it's a little earlier when the battle starts, um, and uh, it's when the enemy spearmen are being charged by Greg- Gregor Kilgain, and uh, you have paragraphs and paragraphs leading up to the battle, and in this first charge, it just goes, you know. Half broke their, uh, half of the horses shied, and then just the others died. And it's just those three words, just, again, you know, emphasizing the massive loss of life and uh, the brutality of it. But it also, like, to me, it mirrors what must have, what it must have looked like to Tyrion, where it's just, like, abruptly, it's all cut off. I think George can do so much with so little words, and I just appreciated that line. Mm. Yeah, he's really good at, like, the sentence length variation to like land on those punches yeah love it it's uh it's something seneca did a lot it's a uh, sententii so it's like the vibes we love it hell yeah i'm sure you're right <laughs> uh, so george is more <laughs> radical more radicalized there's like one one more more small thing that i noticed in this chapter uh, and i'm sorry for even bringing it up no but uh after the funny sex scene with Tyrion, okay <laughs> funny he just he like goes outside and takes a piss while talking uh, talking with Funny Braun. So you know, mm. Tyrion confirmed to pee after sex. Yes, looking out for those UTIs. <laughs> Kingship. We also, hey, we didn't talk about Pod at all. Pod's here. Yeah, yeah Pod. Yay. And Pod. he doesn't say anything. Our baby boy. Just a baby boy. He's good. Tyrion says he thinks that. The fact that he's been given him is a joke because he's so useless. But actually, it's a blessing. Leave Pod alone. He did nothing wrong. Also, why exactly. why is why does he say it's an unfortunate name? I don't know. It's goofy. Or is it just like that pains are like considered kind of cursed or something? <laughs> or... Hard, hard to tell what names are normal. Yeah, exactly. Like it is kind of a dopey sounding name, but like yeah. most of the names in this book are. Mm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a, there's a motherfucker like <laughs> Flemeth Brax. So yeah, what about Jake Tyrion? Yeah. <laughs> Never roasted him. Tyrion has name privilege. He got a cool name. Yeah, he does have a yeah. It's it's also a marker of class privilege to have a name that whips. <laughs> <laughs> I like that the the Lannisters have like Titus and Tywin and Tyrion, and then there are also people called. Kevin and Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> Jason. But Jamie has the I before the M. Yeah. yeah. For some reason. It's cool suburban mom writing, yeah. There's a, there's a Patrick <laughs> with an E in the cat chapter, I think. The, like, Patrick real world Melissa. Jamie looks weird to me now, though. <laughs> yeah. Uh, when I read this book the first time, and, like, I had no idea, like, I haven't seen any scene from the show or listened to an audiobook or listened to a normal person talk about this, I thought he was uh, supposed to be pronounced as Jame. Jame. Well, that's how it looks, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe Jame. it is. Jame. 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 Yeah. <laughs> Jim. <laughs> Jim. Jim. I'm Jim Lannister. <laughs> Jim Lannister. Jim Lancaster. <laughs> Jimmy Lancaster. <Jimmy>. <laughs> it's pronounced <sighs> Jaim. It's pronounced Jaam. 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 Classic comedy bit of mis- mispronouncing names. <laughs> Come on and slam and let's talk about Catelyn. Oh, my beautiful wife. Yep. Let me flip to that beautiful wife. Okay, so... This, this chapter uh, was a short one, and it is sort of a direct contrast to the Tyrion chapter because Catelyn is involved in a battle, but she does not see or participate in it uh, because we live in a society. 
So in this chapter starts out with her sort of standing back uh, in the, the wood um, and the men sort of assigned to protect her, uh, telling her that the battle's going to happen soon. Uh, she goes over the argument that um, she and Rob had over how many men should be assigned to protecting her. Um, she reminisces on her childhood, um, waiting for all the men in her life, um, from her father to Brandon to Ned and now to her son, Rob. Um, and she sort of wishes that he, uh, will keep living and that he'll have the opportunity that she did to have his own son and see him grow up. Um, it seems like they're waiting, uh, to sort of go Jamie into a trap. Um, and Brendan apparently set up this plan, uh, Brendan Blackfish alongside Rob and, you know, they're, they're chilling and she sort of flashes back a little bit to when the plan was being set up and Rob and Sir Brendan, um, talking about where Jamie is, they've prevented all birds from reaching him. Um, she talks about how, how they sort of established the situation, how they set up the trap, so to speak, um, when they came across the twins. Uh, Catelyn watches, uh, Rob head out with his, uh, sort of, uh, honor guard of all the all the young noblemen of the houses that are loyal to the Starks. I forgot, well, vassal houses. Um, and after they all ride out, uh, there's some birds, and then the woods get very silent. We get a sort of less spooky, spooky tree scene. And then she hears these these distant sounds, and she can see Jamie even looking down on the valley uh, because his armor and his hair are so distinctive. Um, and when she looks at Jamie, she that's when she flashes back to them establishing the plan and... Uh, deciding how they're going to trap Jamie. And um, she hears some of the familiar sounds um, and sees some sights. Uh, she sees Rob. She hears Grey Wind. Uh, she hears the horses and the trumpets. And uh, as she's waiting, men fighting sort of in the distance. As the battle rages around her, she sort of hears it secondhand, sees it secondhand, but eventually she only hears Grey Wind. And then Rob comes back and they have captured Jamie Lannister. Uh, in stark contrast to the previous chapter where they did not capture Rob. And <laughs> they keep him... Oh, Merlin. Sorry, my cat's here trying oh. to get involved. Um, hi, Merlin. Hi. <laughs> Hello, cat. Baby. He doesn't hear you, but he says hi. <laughs> it's also like in stark contest, contrast to like two chapters ago when uh, Tywin said, Jamie would never get captured by a woman. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Great point. He... he because uh, it, it is from Catelyn's oh, point of view, um, and we assume and we know that she did have some role in setting up the trap, and they bring him directly to her, so uh, big owned. And then Theon's, you know, talking about how awesome the battle was, and Catelyn's like, we still have war to do, so um, be patient. Uh, so we get my son Theon in here, and yeah, the important thing, though, is that they won the battle and they captured uh, Jamie. Theon shows up and, like, immediately... Uh, starts talking about how juicy Catelyn is. <laughs> He's like, you just need my input, and my input is looking extremely juicy today, Catelyn. <laughs> I mean, he's a milf lover. He 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 can't help it. It's genetic. <laughs> and he has the most rights, and I respect him so much. I mean, we we all who whomst amongst us can't relate to just thinking <laughs> that there's a juicy milf. <laughs> He also wants to uh, kill Jamie and just, like, chop his head off right there. Yeah. Yeah, Theon has some problems. Theon's very normal, very cool. Every chapter that he's talking, he's like, why don't we just do a murder? (laughs) 
uh, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I, I like that he in, in instinctively is like, why don't we kill Jamie? And then, um, and then uh, Catelyn and, and Rob are like, no, no, you know, it's way more important to have him as a hostage because, you know, if they kill Jamie, like Ned and, and the girls are dead for sure. Um, but Theon, I guess, can't think that one single step ahead. He has no foresight, foresight in his brain. Yeah. I think this is almost like half just for the reader to to be like ah yes uh feudalism works this way yeah speaking of speaking of another uh feudalism moment um there's a moment top where 10 feudalism <laughs> top 10 feudalism moments <laughs> 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 there's a bit where um when rob comes back to catlin many of his uh honor guard uh were killed and um, he's he's really distraught about it, and he. Um, I don't know if it was many. It was like a, it was like three. Yeah, yeah, it was it was like, three of them. Yeah, but like you know, he says you know you know I if they hadn't tried to stop them if like and and he he sort of blames himself a little bit clearly, but Catelyn reminds him that this is this is, this is their job. Their job is to fight mm. for you and die for you, and so um, it kind mm-hmm. of also. It is very, like, this is feudalism, but also, like, Catelyn's role in the story is partly to represent and emphasize how feudal society works, because she's so, uh, she's so, uh, devoted to it and embroiled within it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she says, like, it's over, let's move on, and it's very dismissive. Yeah, it is dismissive, um, and it's also an interesting contrast, um, to what she wishes for Rob. Yeah. And, uh, on that vein, just a little, uh, a little Iliad thing to talk about vis-a-vis, uh, Rob and Catelyn, um, and because this is going to be a theme that's established throughout the series about Ooh. war, youth, etc. My ears pricked up. What's that? Uh, it's kind of a theme one. Um, <laughs> not to be eighth grade book report about it, but there's a, a classic bit in the Iliad where. Hello. Are you there, Ducky? Ducky, can you hear us? Oh, oh. no. Oh no, I can't. Uh oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm back. Um, can you guys hear me now? Sorry, my Discord had a stroke. I see why. My thing, my computer is trying to update something. No, I will never do this. <laughs> um, you will never update. I will never update. I will never do anything. My brain is so small. Yeah. So, um, in I refuse to improve. I refuse to improve. That's also kind of a Theon Greyjoy one. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, he uh, in the Iliad, uh, the the shield of Achilles. Uh, it 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 depicts the contrast between. Um, uh, the life that Achilles is going to lead, where he's destined to die young uh, for valor, for honor, uh, and, and and be remembered in history, versus if he had chosen to live the life of a regular person and and you know grow grow into old age and have children uh, and live a normal calm life. And so Catelyn wants the latter for Rob. She wants him to grow old and she wants him to uh, to uh, be able to have his own children and and live uh, a full life because he's her son. But um, the expectation in society is that you will desire the the young death uh, for honor and for valor. Um, so it's sort of like a, a contrast between what what society expects of young men and what you know their their family and what the social structure that would more naturally arise would would want for them. So kind of a feudalism one, but also kind of an Iliad one to me. Ooh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I just, I love Catelyn chapters so much. There's so much feudal society stuff going on. <laughs> yeah. She's good. I did like did like the bit where she talks about having to always be waiting for her men. Yes. So she's always having to be static and passive while people sort of go off to war. So Brendan went off and then he died and then Ned went off and she had a child and then, yeah, hmm. she just gets left behind a lot, which... 
Yeah. And I like the the contrast because uh, Catelyn, you're, you're right. She talks about having to be passive um, and having to uh, to sort of wait for men in her life. But we see in this chapter and in the previous chapter with Tyrion's where like uh, Daisy Mormont and uh, Chella more take an active role in, uh, in fighting. Mm, yeah. And uh, I wonder if it's because both of them come from non- traditional Westerosi society because like the North is Westerosi but they're also like we know they're different so they're mm. still like one among many men but it's just like it seems like societal rules are a bit laxer when you distance yourself from like the nexus of state control and societal control for yeah, sure definitely and then later you have that you have that contrasted with Brienne who's a bit more like southern in culture and <laughs> yeah and people react like... not as well to her very very southern yeah, and, yeah. and everyone treats it as more of like a, a shock and a, mm. something that's not done when she wants to. Yeah. Yeah. She like got a lucky break because of just her father. But if it was like, mm. uh, yeah, the Mormons are like, they're even kind of set apart from other northerners too, because they're off on their little island and they like the male half of their house kind of just left in various <laughs> ways. Yeah. So the women took over. But yeah. like even before that, they had the they had the like tradition of the women having to fight because the men would be like off fishing and then uh, oh, the ironborn right. would be raiding them. Yeah, yeah, and they'd have to defend themselves. Yeah, I like that. I think in general that the uh, Barry Island is very scarcely populated, so everyone who is able to fight will have to fight. Yeah, probably. yeah. Um, we get some cool like there's good characterization for I mean a lot of characters in here yes. but also but for Jamie yes you know yeah. this chapter tells us a lot about yes, him we love him uh, Brendan Blackfish is like yeah I saw him once whenever he was a kid and like I know all about him <laughs> it also tells you a lot about Brendan how yeah yeah and well, Rob Jamie too. loved Brendan didn't he. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie told him his whole life story, and Brendan's like, yeah, yeah. I know I know this kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was embarrassing. <laughs> Is Jamie Brendan like a popular ship? Brendan, I think, was be. Jamie's first was Jamie's first gay crush, like the first hot man he ever saw. It's gotta be. Just like how for Jon Snow, Jamie was the first hot man he ever saw. Oh shit. It's oh my about God. the knights, you know, you're like do I respect them as a knight or am I kind of attracted to them? Por que no las dos? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so basically, yeah, Brendan, like, he's been scouting this whole time. He's been keeping the Lannisters, like, blind by killing their birds and scouts and, and gathering information. He's, like, really good at this. He's he's actually, he's fucking, like, almost half the reason that Rob does so well in the war. But, yeah, he, like... He tells them that Jamie's already been out in like like three different times away from the siege lines to go like just do random shit because he's bored. And he's like, okay, we can use that to our advantage. I'll like make him think that there's just a small like force of Tully people here and we'll lead them back into this trap that they've set up. And Rob like, you know, he can read maps real good because Ned taught him. And he just picks like this awesome spot to uh, to set up this ambush. It's good shit. Yeah, it seems like the Lannisters in general are a bit like arrogant and overconfident in mm -hmm. this war so far. It's spiking oh, yeah. them in the ass right now. Huh. <laughs> I wonder if that means something. Could could be a theme maybe. That the, the the battle we see with the Lannisters with Tyrion, the Lannisters outnumber the Starks, if I remember correctly. Mm. And yeah. they like do that, both places. I yeah, think. and that's how Tywin wants to fight. Yeah. And then like when we see, you know, the battle that um that we see here, you know, 
they still outnumber the Starks, but this time, you know, they they use other things to their advantage. I think it's it's interesting that Tywin always wants to fight that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you do love to read it because it's like you know, it becomes a it becomes an underdog story this way because it's like, ooh, he outnumbers them, but Rob has to use strategy. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very like gorilla using the environment against the enemy in it. Yeah. Jamie has like he's got like fifteen thousand men ish. Uh, Rob has like six thousand. Wow! But he gets local superiority here because most of Jamie's army is like left around River Run, um, mm. and he doesn't take all of them. He only probably took like maybe I don't even know because uh, Rob tells Brendan to raid him for the bait with like three hundred men. So Jamie probably only took like a thousand or two thousand at most to like because he didn't think it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they they probably outnumber Jamie a lot right now. But yeah, that's like because they tricked him. And also, I mean the 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 ambush him and uh, and and get out a few volleys of uh, of arrows. And I mean by that point, it's yeah. basically won probably. They're also completely surrounding him, and he's at the bottom of a lake of a stream bed. Uh, so like the terrain is against him in every single way it can be. Yeah. I also like, you know, with, with respect to characterization, it makes a lot of sense for Tywin to always outnumber um, Rob, not only because the North is more sparsely populated, but because, like, since Tywin is so rich, you know, amassing a massive army is the equivalent of throwing money at the problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is the Lannister way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do we got any more? I was going to say, just it, it is nice to see Jamie in the chapter because we we don't see him that often, and obviously we don't get a point of view character for <laughs> a while. You just like to see him. Yeah, I just like to see him, and it's interesting seeing him from other people's point of views. Yeah, um, yeah, and trying to like figure out who he is as a person before then. For sure. Which I think is it's fun because he is very like. I just like to look at him. I like to look at him. Yeah. You see, we all think he's. Re- He's presented as being this dishonorable guy who killed the king, and yet when he's in battle, he sort of acts quite honorably and has all these sort of tendencies that suggest that he, apart from when he killed all of Ned's men, maybe not then. He posted cringe <laughs> once. Who among <laughs> us? that window. Well, when he shoved <laughs> Bran, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay, maybe those times weren't great, but <laughs> my point is that, I don't know, maybe you can see something How else. How about all the times that... He had sex with his sister. That was what I don't remember that. Who was coping? That, that never happened. She had bad vibes. <laughs> That's libel. Some people, some people do incest to cope. <laughs> but like, I I do see your point. Like, it's uh, I'm always clapping when there's a character who like becomes a major character later and is already like like has minor appearances early. So I'm like, I can be like, ooh, I I know who this is. I know who. I just think it's nice. It's it's neat. It's like similar <laughs> with Theon and uh, and when there's a Stannis mansion. Oh yeah, when there's a Stannis mansion in this book, I go sicko. Yeah, we all do. <laughs> and there are we so many. Which... Kay is not on this episode. No so, one... <laughs> so this is this is now a pro Stannis. It's, okay. it's Stannis tanky hour. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, two small Catelyn things I want to mention before we move on. Um, I really like that, again, she gets to be, like, a voice of, 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 of military and stra- strategic uh, strategizing reason, if that makes sense. Like, even though she wasn't involved in the battle, when they're celebrating afterwards, she's like, hey, Rob, there's still a lot of men left to fight. Like, this is only one small battle. And she's absolutely right. And he still listens to her, etc. So she's still, like, she's she's always involved in his in his planning, and he... 
he always like takes her her into consideration because he values her info and I like that um and then in the beginning of the chapter you know she thinks that he looks like a man he looks like a knight etc but then at the end she says that you know Rob looks into the distance and it says that he got the same brooding look that Ned often got <laughs> um mm. and I it hurts my heart that he reminds her of Ned that line killed me it makes me think like why was he looking like that because he was thinking about his, like, honor guard men who had died. So, like, I'm sure that yeah. Ned got that look when he was thinking about his own trauma from, from Robert's Rebellion and the lives that, and the friends that he lost in that war. Or a few weeks back when, like, his guard died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do think it was genius of him to do all of Rob's uh, storyline from Cat Catelyn's oh, perspective, yes. or sometimes by Bran. I think rather than having Rob as the main character who's like a perspective, having these other perspectives around him is really interesting, and I'm glad he did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, Rob's chapters would probably just be, oh shit, oh fuck, what am I doing? What's happening now? <laughs> it is really... <laughs> mommy, mommy, please tell me what to do. <laughs> Mom, can I have bridge? <laughs> <laughs> Mom bridge, please. <laughs> I I like that uh, we got the the recurring uh, Frey comedy bit, and I think also in the in the previous chapter then that there are name drops of like in uh, in the previous chapter the the captives uh, the Lannisters took, and in this uh, this case Rob's honor guard, and in both cases it's like a list of names and also five Freys. <laughs> so <laughs> always just referred so by by them. by their magnitude, not by not by name. <laughs> yeah, who the fuck is Oliver Frey? <laughs> yeah, that's Oliver, uh, that's Rob Squire. Rob Squire, who is like a few years older than him, right? Or two years, three years, something like that. Catelyn says he's two years older and a decade younger. <laughs> I like that. It says a lot. <laughs> that's deep. I know. <laughs> Whoa. Catelyn's brain is big. I mean, Oliver Frey is probably like fifty uh, seventh in the <laughs> line of succession of the Freys, and Rob is first. So. <laughs> I said it in the yeah. chat, and I'll say it again. Walter Frey's sons should unionize. They should. Oh my god. It's so true. Imagine a union of Freys. The Frey union. Oh god. <laughs> unionize against their dad. That should be a Westeros play in like 20 years after the events of this book. I would like to shout out uh, Theon's big brain when he urges Rob to kill Jamie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that. He's just like seeing people's heads cut off. That's he just <laughs> he loves, loves to, to see, see it. it. He he yeah. has to perform Greyjoyness. He has to be like, let's do the insane sicko thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he does have the Greyjoy disease of being fucking irrational <laughs> idiots. Yeah. What what if what if we went sicko mode? Yeah. yeah, he says, what if we went sicko mode? That's the famous Greyjoy word. <laughs> what if we did? the like dumbest military move that involves the most violence possible <laughs> it's like what if we hit it with sword that that classic Greyjoy maneuver of doing something stupid god I'm so glad Asha didn't get that disease I know does it say something about patriarchy that it uh, only affects the men in the Greyjoy family I don't know no I think that's a good point because I think it's it's just hard to survive if you're a woman in the Greyjoy family. Well, mm. and like you know, Asha has to work a lot harder to uh, to be taken seriously, yeah. and she has to be clever in order yeah. to get to her position. So, yeah. if she had dumbass genes, she wouldn't be the person she is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's already killed off half the Greyjoy siblings anyway. So it's like if you survive, you have to be like 
halfway there already. Yeah, the meritocracy <laughs> does exist in Westeros, but only for women. Oh, God. <laughs> well, and, and it still only applies to the to the nobility. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I mean, for the small folk, I'm sure like there's like you know the the ceiling isn't as high as far as like being able to command a big army or whatever. But if you like show a proficiency for making some carpentry or whatever, then they'll probably be like, yeah, do that. Yeah, I mean, I think that generally. Um, gender roles weren't as rigid in the lower classes, especially if everyone needs to work. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm. Oh my gosh, Marilyn's sleepy. Okay. Alright, we ready to talk about Daenerys? A lot happens in this one. I just want to shout out my new favorite, like, minor character that I will be looking for uh, future mentions, and that is Melo the Dornishman, who is just randomly part of the Lannister army oh my for God. some reason. Melo the Dornishman, <laughs> I just found him, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't even have a last it's name just there for no reason i wonder what his story is he's probably just like slightly tan and everyone just calls that <laughs> him that because they're yeah it's just... like Chora the end of yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's do the must do power hour yeah hell yeah <laughs> uh, queen comrade oh yeah we have another four hours of podcast to go so uh, one hour of Miri and three hours of... Of spiders, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 12 spiders. <laughs> 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 All right, uh, so Danny, she, um, they're riding along, uh, and Count Joko is in a bad, bad way. He's, uh, he's not looking so good. He's uh, very, like, delirious. He's not speaking. There's a bunch of flies floating around him. His wound looks very fucked up, and... It's bad. She talks about these, all these flies. Um, they're like really big, and normally Drogo hated them and like would just snatch them out of the air like Mr. Miyagi and uh, crush them. But they're like crawling on him now, and it's uh, gross. And Danny's like, she tries to like ride up to him and and touch him, and he just falls off his horse. <laughs> and, <laughs> and like. He can barely speak. He's like, I must ride. I have to get up. Uh, but he can't. He can't really talk. There's a couple other people that see that he fell off his horse, and everyone's freaking out about it because uh, that's like the status symbol of being a man and being able-bodied and being fit for rule is riding a horse. It's like the bare minimum. You have to ride a horse. And he fell off his horse, and everyone is like, Well, shit, dog. Uh, so Danny. Basically, she says, like, we're just camping here. Tell everyone that Drogo commanded that this is camping town now, even though they're not in a, they're in, like, a really hot, like, barren area. But she just has the tent, like, set up around them uh, to try and hide Drogo's weakness. She's, like, freaking out. He's feverish. Um, she doesn't really know what to do. She wants to get... Miri, Mazder, like the other healers or somebody. Um, all the blood riders are like, uh, what the fuck? You did this. Like, you fucked up and you basically killed our cow and we are mad at you. But she still manages to, like, make them obey with the promise of Drogo's ret- retribution because he might still wake up. You know, he could live, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yes, but Drogo can still live, yeah. Yeah, he, he can. He's running. He's fine. He's fine. <laughs> He's riding, yeah. <laughs> uh, she gets Jorah, like, she sends to get him, and he shows up, and Jorah's like, uh, yeah, 
this dude's dead. <laughs> He's fucking gonna be gone in like the a day. One time in his life where Jorah is right about something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Draco had sepsis. He just wants to go to a shy. Like, <laughs> yeah, really bad. He's funny, can, He's we funny can just for go a shy. to a shy. Yeah. <laughs> he does literally say that. Kelly C, we could have just we could have just gone there. Yeah. <laughs> so Danny doesn't want to leave Drogo. Um, she has, you know, uh, this relationship's so fucked up. But I mean, she does feel, I guess, you know, like legitimate loyalty and 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 love for him in a way. Uh, obviously, like it's built on uh, very wacky, fucked up circumstances. But you know, she doesn't want to leave him. She's like thinking of him as the father of her child and somebody that has protected her and. I mean, her her whole life she's been codependent with someone, so... Well, and also, like, specifically, she says that he's, like... She thinks of him as a shield that keeps her safe, so, like, without him, Mm -hmm. she might, like... She has nothing left in this society. Yeah. So, Jorah explains that, like, we gotta get out of here because once he dies, everybody, like, the higher... The, like, the coast, the, like, the riders that have, like, more standing will just fight over who gets to be cow next and whoever wins is probably going to kill you or at the very least they're going to take you to the dash Kaleen and but they'll probably also like kill your son as soon as he's born because he's, he's prophesied to be the baddest motherfucker alive and they don't <laughs> want to deal with that when he grows up and uh she's like well i don't want that to happen so she finally gets miri um she comes in and she's like you guys didn't follow my directions. You fucked up. <laughs> like, they just misfollowed like every single thing that she said. Yeah. Not one thing. <laughs> she told them exactly what to do. She's like, it's going to stay on for 10 days. It's going to be itching and irritating and hot, like it's going to hurt. But you can't drink any milk of the puppy or any alcohol. And he's like, I simply will do it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, what if I am thirsty? <laughs> what if I just take it off? <laughs> you can just take you it can off. just take it off <laughs> this is also hilarious because it's like choco is big toxic masculinity man but he can't fucking deal with a band-aid for a week yeah. like oh it, it's it's itchy well, it's yeah. also like it's kind of a metaphor because drogo only took those those wounds because he was raiding and you know doing doing violence and then he refused the sort of treatment for them so it's like the sort of hyper masculine culture of the dothraki is literally toxic and that's why he gets sepsis infected by toxic masculinity <laughs> it's unsustainable as a cultural system it's really to be like that it's literal man pain yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like the the thing you said about the band-aids it's like the same thing that is like the big like 90s movie Hollywood cliche about like I don't know Braveheart or whatever when the man protagonist is gonna like fight all the fights and like doesn't show a single scratch or like doesn't you know it doesn't hurt him at all but then when his like wife slash girlfriend slash love interest is gonna like put on some like try to clean out his wounds he's gonna like Mm -hmm. uh you know and then he says pain don't hurt yeah that's exactly how it goes (laughs) drogo would have said that if he he would still speak Yeah, so Miri's like, Miri's like the tech, like, person that came, comes in and, like, you downloaded every virus from, like, 
<laughs> she just walks in and is like... I told you not to click on download virus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I you, wanted to. You have to reset in factory settings. Yeah. Oh, damn. <laughs> <laughs> they gave him baby oh, brain. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then she says, yeah, the thing I made him uh, burned because there's great healing magic in fire. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Mm. Just a saying. Yeah, so Danny's just like, well, we'll do it again. Do another one. And she's like, yeah, that that's not going to work this time. And she's like, please do anything, like, whatever it is. You have to know some spell or something. And Mary's like, she gets a glint in her eyes, and uh, <laughs> she goes, there is a, a horrible blood spell of doom, and uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and she, I mean, she's pretty forthright with, like, some would say death is cleaner, I learned this in a shot. This is fucked up shit, you're sure you want to do this, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. She's like, so yes or no on the evil ritual? The person that taught me is a blood mage from the Shadowlands. <laughs> and yeah. death is cleaner than this way. The, it is hard and it is dark. <laughs> and Danny's like, yes, that one. <laughs> it's some experimental shit, yeah. <laughs> Please do the blood mage dark I... hard spell. <laughs> From the Shadowlands. I have, I have this for the from the Ashai Goop side. Please yeah. curse my husband. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, everything about this is uh, putting up a bunch of red flags. But Danny is <laughs> Danny is very desperate. Yeah, sure, yeah. go ahead. It's probably fine. Yeah, I can trust this woman. Yeah, yeah, she saved her once from oh, one rape. So she can trust her for the rest of her life. She said that in her last chapter. I mean, Holy fuck. Miriam Master did nothing wrong, so it's epic. It's pretty cool. It's really cool. Everywhere you look at it, she did nothing I mean, wrong. it is Praxis yeah. when you think about we it. Can, uh, Sorry, we'll talk about that after. So Danny basically, yeah, she just says, do it, I'll pay whatever price. And and Miri is like, well, the price will not be in gold. First, Danny thinks like it'll require her death, but then she's like, no, not your death. And Danny's like, okay. And then she doesn't ask any follow-up questions. <laughs> and they bring in a horse. They like they put Droga in the bath. Miri like summons a bronze dagger from somewhere, and she has she has the spirit weapon spell. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a bronze leaf-shaped knife that. Uh, that's interesting. But anyway, they bring in the stallion, um, they cut its throat over the bath, and a bunch of blood goes everywhere, and and they, it goes into the bath, and Miri says some, is basically, like, doing some kind of prayer that says, uh, she's trying to, like, funnel the strength of the mount through the blood into Kaldrogo, and then... Adding to the horse death count. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we didn't have enough dead horses. George can't do one chapter without killing a horse. Honestly, <laughs> can. Yeah, blood goes everywhere. Miri throws some spices on the fire, and everybody is like freaked the fuck out, and they don't want him her to do this, but she just says do it. Miri tells everyone to leave, 
She says nobody can come into this tent because the dead will dance here and it it's bad news. It will my song will wake powers old and dark. <laughs> Ugh. Normal. That's creepy. <laughs> just just a normal medical procedure, yeah. That's... When you go to medical school, that's like a year one. <laughs> when I get a flu shot, my doctor says the same, yeah. <laughs> that's in the Hippocratic Oath, I think. Hippocratic Oath, just time for blood sacrifice. Yeah, that's literally yeah. What, what Galen said. <laughs> yeah, Danny kisses Drogo on the brow and tells Miri to bring him back and they go outside. The Blood Riders are back and they've brought the like the other regular healers that would they're just like the eunuch guys that are surgeons. And also Jora says like he calls her a little fool and says we could have gone to a shy. Yeah, Danny is like, Well, alright, am I really your princess? And he's like, I guess and yeah. She told him to put his armor on earlier, so that's why he was gone for a bit. But anyway, so he's got that on now, which is a pretty good idea. Miri is singing in the tent behind him. There's a bunch of uh, shadows, like, against the walls of the tent from... And there's more than just... Than the actual people that are in there, which is basically just Miri and Drogo in a bathtub. And... <laughs> full of blood. <laughs> the... So the blood riders see what's going on and they're like pissed the fuck off and they call they start calling Danny a mage and they want to go in the tent and stop Miri but uh Danny gets her Kas and Jora to stop them there's some fighting Jora is wounded but eventually beats Kotho Kotho's sword goes it, it bites through his his mail that wouldn't happen but anyway <laughs> it's fine. We talked about that. But it did. <laughs> Kotho's just really strong. Yeah, he's that strong. <laughs> Danny is like starting to have uh uh contractions. Her baby is like starting to come. And mm-hmm. uh there's a bunch of weird coincidence that she's she's getting hmm. uh yeah. right now. I don't know. I this. have never been Greg Hunter, but like uh <laughs> They describe it in, or George described it in a way as it felt like her son was like sticking swords out of her belly or something. It's probably like a normal thing that happens, right? That is, yeah. Maybe. I think that is, I mean, I've never been gregarious, but I did have endometriosis until I had a hysterectomy, and it kind of did feel like that, but I had no bappy. Oh, same. Bodies just suck ass. Yeah, I've never been burgonate. <laughs> So I don't know. Alright, so yeah, there's some fighting. They're basically like, the Blood Riders are like trying to get into the tent. They're trying to, uh, uh, Kaholo is about to like kill Danny, uh, but then Ago shoots him with an arrow. Eventually Danny's like, dudes went out and the rest of the Dothraki, like they were throwing rocks and stuff, but they just start to slink off and they're like, basically like, fuck this and we're leaving. And, um... They start trying to call for, like, birthing women, and none of them will come. And her, like, small crew is basically like, we don't know what the fuck to do. And the only thing they can think of is that they knew Miri said that she knew how to, you know, deliver a baby. And that's all they got left. And Danny uh, is trying to say, like, uh, don't do it, don't, don't bring me into that tent. But she can't, and she's only able to, like, scream in pain because... Uh, yeah, she's starting to have contractions. And... Are you having contractions? 
<laughs> yeah, she's looking at the tent and she sees all these like shadowy figures dancing. Uh, one is like a wolf and one is like a man on fire. I'm sure that means nothing. And it's pretty scary. And Jorah brings her into the tent. <laughs> and then the chapter ends. Woof. And then they're all healed and everything is fine. Yeah. <laughs> then she birthed a happy baby. This chapter Aww. fucking so stressful, dude. Like, I Luckily, know. though, Miri Master did the episode of Full Metal Alchemist where they deliver a baby and she'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't Danny's handmaids know how to do this? What the heck? There's no doula lessons. Jeez. I wonder if, if that sort of knowledge is, like, kept within certain, like, groups of people. And, like, like I wouldn't know how to deliver a baby, but I don't know. Yeah, I forget if it's Eerie or Jiqui says, like, the lamb woman knows the secrets of the birthing bed. So, like, I guess this is, like, I mean, it's definitely, like, a knowledge base or set that's, like, unique or, or you know, not everybody has it. Yeah, I'd assume that, like... Yeah, and then they're quite young as well, so they've probably never seen it happen or been around when it's happened. I assume that, that someone knowing the secrets of the birthing bed is, like, the equivalent of a trained midwife. So, I mean, yeah, even mm. if you live in vampire times, yeah. there's still a lot of training that has to go into learning how to do that most safely. I feel like they've seen childbirth before. They probably have, like, you know, it's the Kalasar. They do everything out in the open. I feel like they're just having, they're just, like... Yes out in the open having babies all the time. I'm sure they've seen it, but yeah, that's different than Yeah, knowing. I'm sure they've seen it. Yeah, one of her handmaids was raised as a sex worker, right? So she would probably also have experienced pregnant women and, uh, and yeah. birth. Maybe they just don't want yeah. to. Maybe they're <laughs> yeah. scared because, like, even though Danny is, like, their, their boss, maybe they're, like, scared of, of fucking up if they don't have the formal training. And then, like, the consequences would be yeah. worse. I don't know. And they don't know how, like, how to check the head and make sure the umbilical cord isn't, like, wrapped around its neck and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and also it is a very stressful situation at this exact moment. Yeah. There's a lot going on. There's just a lot going on here. A lot yeah. going on here. A lot going on. Did we talk about how the flies in the beginning is, like, funny ba Breaking Bad? <gasps> okay, it is, like, funny Breaking Bad <laughs> because funny Breaking Bad is, like, the funny play The Flies, which is Atreus House. So I did get to talk about okay. it. Uh, these flies aren't about Atreus House, they're just about funny flies, and also maybe Breaking Bad. But I'm wondering if these flies, they don't sound like them, but it reminded me of the flies that spread uh, trypanosomiasis. Um, but I'm sure they're just big flies that eat you. It's probably just symbolism at this point. Yeah, it's just symbolism, but... Um... There's symbolism. You guys are catching on. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are just flies. Um, there's two yeah. interesting uh, mythological parallels that I want to talk about here. Um, I'm sorry, I have a lab zoom at six, but I can talk about this before I go, if that's okay. I'm sorry, I have to leave. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go off. Okay, cool. This is just um, some some quick things. Um, a of all, you know, the, the Danny... Um, uh, Danny sort of seeing Drogo as her protector and being terrified of what would happen in his absence, even though she's, like, more of his his servant than his wife, even though they're technically married. It, it gives me vibes of, like, um, in the tragedy, Ajax, uh, before he, he commits suicide and dies, his wife, who's not really his wife, she's, like, his uh, sex slave slash concubine because this takes place in the Trojan War. But she's like, if you die, I'll have nothing because my status is dependent on you. And so that that's what, automatically what uh, what 
I thought of vis-a-vis Danny and Drogo's relationship here, where it's like, it's not good, but it's all Danny has in terms of social status and civility. Um, and then also the, uh, to talk about Atreus House one more time, the uh, image of Drogo in a uh, uh, in a bathtub full of blood is huge. Uh, Aeschylus, Agamemnon vibes. Yeah, I was gonna say. And uh, uh, Atreus <laughs> House there as well. Um, obviously she didn't kill him, but also she kind of did because uh, she said, please go uh, uh, save him with your blood ritual. And uh, not working great. Um, but yeah, Agamemnon vibes. For anyone so that... Oh, yeah, oh, sorry. For anyone who doesn't know the story, I'm sorry. Uh, my brain is poisoned, and I just assume everyone knows this, even though there's obviously no reason to. <laughs> um, so Agamemnon was the leader of the Trojans, and he sacrificed uh, his... No, the leader of the Greeks, sorry. And he sacrificed his daughter, Iphigenia, to try and get favorable winds to go to Troy. And um, Clytemnestra, his wife, did not like that. And so when he came back after winning the Trojan War... Um, she was still mad and she was mad about some other things. Um, and so she killed him like famously in the bath. And, um, so that image is really, uh, really strong and it's an old ass play. So I'm sure George has read it and everyone's adapted it a million times. And, um, George has probably read it. Yeah. Um, he did because, yeah, uh, a, a certain, uh, spoiler character is also, uh, Clytemnestra to me. And, um, I'll mention that eventually, but, um, yeah, if you combine that, Atreus House imagery with the flies, like the play of the flies, which is also Atreus House. It's kind of an Atreus House one to me. Um, Atreus House being just like the house that Agamemnon belongs to, and the flies um, is a play that's like a later play about Agamemnon's family. Um, sorry for being so twisted and jokerified, but I just had to share with y'all. <laughs> um, and you no, we can please. all think about it and let it percolate in our brains. I, I will think about <laughs> it. Uh, I don't know anything about those plays, but I will think about <laughs> them. Yeah, well, would, you say, would you say then that the baby in Danny's stomach is like a failed arrest? Oh, I think that's a great... That's a great point. I think that's a good, a good, a good confront. You could see it as an Orestes figure, um, where, uh... Tell us about Orestes. Okay, so Orestes... Orestes is in a Sufjan song. Orestes Big Mad. Uh, Orestes should be in a Sufjan so- <laughs> song, but he's not, even though he, uh... Oh, is he not? No. Am I mixing him up with someone You're else? You're mixing him up with someone, and I know that because Orestes as a character is literally Sufjan's entire brand, and he hasn't written a song about him yet, and I'm waiting for it, and it hasn't happened. <laughs> Should email him. I, I, I will. I mean, he, he hasn't returned my emails yet, so... But Orestes uh, is Agamemnon and Clytemnestra's son, so I told you that uh, that uh, Agamemnon sacrificed their daughter, Iphigenia, but uh, they also had a son, Orestes, and um, when Clytemnestra killed Agamemnon, uh, Apollo was not thrilled about this, and so he told Orestes, you have to avenge your father um, and uh, kill your mom, and so Orestes did that, but then... Um, afterward like her ghost and the furies which are these like vengeance demon things um they sort of pursued him and uh he had to go to trial and get acquitted of matricide and so one big theme of the oristia is just that revenge is counterproductive which is why it's very applicable to a song of ice and fire um because that is one of the big themes of a song of ice and fire it's not that it's epic strikingly you might be surprised keeps going yeah it keeps going it doesn't fix anything um keep big cycle yeah it's a big cycle the ghost of this woman uh with a bunch of vengeance spirits does sound like the like you know weirwood goddess and the others to me oh i totally forgot that one exists Mm -hmm. your brain is big that's some good shit it's all coming together <laughs> I remember now I mixed up Orestes with Erebus on my back, who I also don't know who he is. I don't know who that is. I only know about the House of Atreus, so um, I tap out for everything else. Erebus, E-R-E-B-U-S? Yeah. I've heard the name. 
so Erebus, Erebus was one of the um, original Titans. So like when Gaia oh. split from huh. like, the the air, and then they had like you know the pre gods uh-huh. stuff. Cool. Um, I'm not sure if this is a spoiler, but um, if it is, you can cut it out. But um, if uh, it, like you could think of a uh, of of Danny's child as Orestes, um, but I but you could also sort of think of it as um, even Ooh. as an Iphigenia type because because yeah, I was gonna yeah, yeah. if like mm-hmm. sh- like if the child is the price for Drogo's life, um. If you mm, if you have yeah. a big brain when you read Iphigenia in Atlas, which is the play where the where the sacrificing of Iphigenia goes down, you'll realize that Agamemnon was in an impossible situation, um, and that he really had no choice. Um, and if he had chosen not to, his own life and his family's life would have been on the line because of the situation he was in. So you know, sort of buying Drogo's life with that of her child unintentionally, it's kind of Iphigenia vibes to me. Um, and you know, similarly mm, yeah. in that, considering that um, her son was supposed to be super strong and powerful, in Iphigenia and Alice, um, Iphigenia was supposed to marry Achilles, and their children would definitely have been super strong and powerful because Achilles is a demigod. Uh, but obviously that never happened because that marriage was cut short by the sacrifice of her. Mm. Achilles big gay as well. He, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's vampire times. <laughs> it's kind of a like, as long like you have kids... Just because of the yeah. society, but you also can have a boyfriend, and that's fine. It's vampire times. It's like double vampire times. So it's even further back. Yeah, it's it's way it's even before vampire it's, times. It's the it's the vampire times of vampire times. <laughs> it's like JoJo vampire times. <laughs> but that yeah, that's what that's what I have for this chapter. But it was a lot. I gotta watch JoJo so I can talk about how uh, Dio is like you know, Azor High gaining immortality and then haunting the world for the rest of time. Oh, it's probably exactly like that. Uh, yeah. As an archaeologist, Jojo is very, very bad archaeology going on in Jojo. <laughs> Jojo that. is just places where Araki has been and like half remembers. Speaking of Azor High, <laughs> my D&D character get Lightbringer. Thank you. I just wanted to say that on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> God, I want somebody to make a fan edit of, like, the first two seasons of the show where... But it's good? Where Stannis... <laughs> I just want them... Actually, maybe the whole show. I think it would just be hilarious to, like, do it in post-edit to make so- uh, Stannis' sword really shiny. Like, really, really fucking bright. Like, oh, it like is in the book. Oh, like Rainbow Cat. Love that. I love that concept. I, I mean, just, like, make it like it's described in the book. But, like... Nobody is acknowledging it. I think that would just be hilarious. <laughs> My second request would be to make the Boltons pink. Oh yeah. yeah, make it gaudy. Yes. All this, all the sick helmets. Just, just be add, there. add in all the colors that were cut from. No one has a three feet like unicorn horn on his head. Yeah, I don't even know if Flamant yeah, is even upsetting. in the show. Be like a hundred years from now, whenever they'll be like talking about this time period, and they're like, "Well, they did." <laughs> they'll be showing like Game of Thrones colorized 2012 or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, like they did have color, but they just didn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> they just didn't know well, how to use lighting in a TV show. All the color leaked out of the film. It's very sad. Yeah, <laughs> kind of like a meta theme. Damn. No, it can't can't be it. Themes. Okay, should we like move into spoilers, or is there anything else we need to talk about in this chapter? 
it's scary. This chapter is stressful. Oh, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's it's like stressful. I I think this chapter is the reason why I thought that I liked the Danny chapters in the Game of Thrones because <laughs> this one's like after my after my first read, I was super hyped for her chapters in mm-hmm. A Clash of Kings. Yeah, um, uh, and I think yeah. it's mainly because of like this chapter and the following chapter. George does such a good job building tension in this chapter, and he's a good writer. That's all I have to say. <laughs> the the last few pages are just totally sick. Like it's uh, there's demon magic going on and people killing each other and total chaos breaking out, and you get a really good sense of really good sense of of what's going on. Is this the first real magic that we've seen as well? I mean, we we have seen. We have seen the others. Like explicit so explicit magic. You, oh yeah, shit. Okay, if you I would like, consider the the others existing, that's probably magic. Yeah, we we had we had ice zombies wandering around. We had ice zombies, and now we yeah, have this. They could just fire. Be, they could just be guys. Yeah, it could just be guys. Just guys being ice dudes. Guys being yeah, dudes. You know. What's better than this? It's not necessarily magic. <laughs> All the whites were just people that were like, I simply am not dead, actually. Yeah, Fuck they're you. just taking a nap. <laughs> Kaujoga kind of like a zombie right now. He mm. got sepsis. He's fine. Uh, do we want to talk about some, some plot spoilery things? Yeah. Um, when Let's we go. transition to spoilers, I'm going to pop out, go to my actual lab, uh, Zoom. Uh, but thanks for having me on the pod. I'm going to stop my audacity. Is that valid? That's valid. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, let's let us say goodbye to you, and if you want to plug anything. Oh, I don't have anything to plug right now, but eventually, me and Milana will have a House MD podcast. So, if you have brainworms about a show from two thousand four, <laughs> hell yeah, <laughs> that sounds great. I don't personally, but you're valid. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I have brainworms from a lot of other things. So. <laughs> we are all yeah. Well, thanks a lot for coming on, Ducky. No Hopefully we can have you on again I'm sure. and talk more about yeah. some myth stuff. Yeah, there's so much... Uh... I want you to explain like all of these stories to me, please. Oh, please. I, I would love to. Um, I'll read the next chapters, and if there's anything cool that could be read this way, I will uh, tell y'all excitedly in book club and then get on the pod. Hell yeah. Okay. Cool. Okay. Bye, Kings. Press Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. All right. We're going to have uh, some spoiler music here. Who can take a sunrise, sprinkle it with dew, cover it in chocolate and a miracle or two? The Candyman, the Candyman can. Candyman can, Fuzzy mixes it with love and makes the world taste good. Who can take a rainbow, wrap it in a sigh? All right, so yeah, let's uh, let's talk about some plot spoilers. The main one is that <laughs> there's there's a lot of stuff here, like looking back at the Battle of the Green Fork, that Bruce Bolton he he like the plan for the Red Wedding is obviously not um, a thing yet, but he's already starting to like do things to undermine the power of the other northern houses, and he he threw this battle like in like every way that he could. <laughs> Okay. It's actually hilarious, but also really fucked up. I mean, I'm an idiot in like military yeah, strategy, so you will have to explain to us, I think, <laughs> <laughs> or to our listeners. Well, they're they're talking about Tyrion like thinks about how it's weird that they stole that they like did an extra march through the night. So like 
They think the army is a day away, but they're actually there already because he marched all the way through the night. So, like, the Northmen are fighting on no sleep, and they also uh, give up, like, good positioning for no reason. So, he, Tyrion, like, he sees them coming over the hills, and all of the Northmen are on foot, essentially, except for, like, the commanders. It's um, some... They've got very few horsemen, so they're using, like, shield wall spear tactics, and the best, the, like, most effective way to use that would have been to stay on the top of the hill and just stand there and make make Tywin charge, like, uphill into a shield wall. That would have been, like, the best way to use that infantry, but they charge down the hill and give up that positioning advantage and then just fight, like, in the worst place possible for them basically so they're on no sleep and then they also give up their like advantage for the for like where they're standing and he also deploys uh mostly karstark men i think in front uh but like everyone except his own men like we don't really see we see some bolton banners but we like it's mostly the other houses that he's put in the front so he's basically just trying to wheedle down the numbers for the other houses uh, for how many soldiers they have while maintaining his own strength. Hmm. Yeah, he's like he's doing what Rob told him to do, which was basically just to keep Tywin busy. But he does it in a way where he's going to weaken all the other houses and maintain his own power. So is he is he already planning to switch sides eventually at this point, or is he preparing for an internal conflict in the north? Just the the latter down the line. Yeah, yeah he does. I don't think he's planning to switch sides yet, but he's just increasing his own standing among the northern houses. I mean, not not putting your own troops. Uh, on the front lines when you have others is i mean it's it's kind of dishonorable but like okay <laughs> like, it's, yeah it's, it's a just a good strategic strategic move in in any way like yeah. well so if he'd given the command to the great john that guy would have been out front with his men you know leading the charge yeah because he's like honorable like he wants to 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 prove himself probably as like a good mm-hmm. as a good warrior yeah just chiming in here with a little editor's note uh, so I can get the last word in on this argument. Rainer's point's a good one, and by itself, Roos, like, doing this douchebag tactic isn't enough to make me say they threw the fight, but along with the night march, that is, there's literally no reason to do this because it just puts your army at a disadvantage and there's no reason that he needed to engage Tywin further south than where they would have been if he had just marched like a normal day. But yeah, so I win. Uh, and I also think, is it Lord Hornwood, I think, dies in this mm-hmm. fight? Yeah. I have no idea yeah. who this is. Um, he's a minor, minor lord in the yeah. north, but it becomes pretty important in Clash because he, the lord dies in this, in the Green Fork battle, and his heir dies defending Rob in the Whispering Wood, so... Mm. This how there's a you know Lady Hornwood in the north is left with you know basically no men to defend her lands and no you know no strong man to protect her or whatever like so the Manderleys, uh, Ramsay, uh, the Karstarks, yeah I forget if there's any other people I think the Umbers probably also start everybody starts eyeing up this land 
because they're like it's up for grabs now because the the male line is dead so they conflict between that like political conflict turns into a military conflict whenever ramsey goes and just like forcibly marries her to him and seizes the land and and imprisons her yeah and then imprisons her and that's that starts like interior conflict and it's another it's basically just for bran and like the winterfell people it's just another thing going on because there there is outright fighting there and roderick goes off to like handle that and it also eventually brings uh brings ramsey to exactly Winterfell as uh, disguised as Rick, as Rick. that only is possible because uh these guys die basically oh. It, it might have happened if they were just away anyway, but the you know that perceived weakness of them being dead is like a big addition to the conflict or like a, a catalyst. Yeah, and I mean, no, no heirs being there, so like the the Hornwood line basically ends if if Lady Hornwood doesn't doesn't marry anyone, right? Right. Or whoever and, would well, marry there's a bunch of people trying to ask Bran to let her, let them marry her and like get the land that way. And Ramsay Rams simply doesn't ask. <laughs> yeah, he just he just he just takes it. Yeah, it's a kind of minor thing that just is shaping the political situation in the north to make Winterfell super vulnerable and like add this extra infighting that weakens the north. What else? Is there any other? I just had like one little thing it's just tangentially related to the cat chapter, but like it did make me go uh, Selena face when I like at the part where cat is like uh, she has to wait just like she had to wait for Brandon and then for Ned. And it like kind of made me think about how like uh, Ned came back with what she thought was a bastard, like how that felt like a betrayal and it just really bummed me out mm. uh but like it also yeah. is making me think now like should do should net have told her like could he have trusted okay. her yeah i don't yeah. know I... it would have been it would have been better too but he swore an oath so he can't break that because that's his thing oh yeah I guess I guess his his thinking is just like uh, not the, the less people he tells the the safer the secret is and it doesn't matter like how close these yeah. people are to him like just like uh like cats like resentment comes from like resentment of john comes from how it's like ned's act of disloyalty but like if she had known that it's like uh liana's sister i like wonder if their relationship would have been different like if she had been yeah but also if if uh, she wasn't that cold to him that might have made people yeah, suspicious. Might have made people yeah. suspicious. Yeah, so you gotta have yeah. <laughs> have him have like a really resented childhood mm. to protect him. I guess. Okay. Mm. Damn, this world sucks. Yeah, it does suck. But I don't think Ned is. I don't think his thought process is that deep about it. I think it's more. It's more just because he promised. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's considering like catelyn uh so much in this which also sucks but yeah yeah maybe at, at some point it was like he, he didn't tell her for one year and a second year and then at some point it just <laughs> would have been weird to at what hey I, I i meant to tell you I, I kind of forgot that this thing about about my past yeah and there might even be some kind of insecurity that like would she even believe me if i told her the truth uh-huh. or maybe he was planning to tell her when he when he tells john himself like uh yeah it would have it would have been weird that she knows but john doesn't yeah i mean it's 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 hard to speculate but 
what was going on in his brain there. I'm sure Ned himself would have asked himself these questions a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other plot things? Uh, not really. I I guess like I I'm thinking about, but I think we should discuss whether Mirimas Dur did anything wrong. Spoiler, she didn't. <laughs> uh, next chapter, because it's gonna make more sense at that point. Yeah. Okay. We can discuss how how she did nothing wrong. Yeah. I don't think she did anything wrong. I don't think she did anything wrong. Just want to say, like the 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 first part of the Caitlyn chapter, when you when you are on a reread, is just extremely painful when she uh, talks yeah. about like, oh, I hope like. Uh, Please let uh, let Rob grow up and. Uh, yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think there there is a, a little bit of a of a parallel when we uh, like uh, Ned went off and uh, supposedly betrayed his marriage, and uh, Rob also very soon will betray his marriage back. Yeah, except he actually does. <laughs> yeah, he actually does. Yeah. Yeah. Also, how fucked up is it that Ned left? Like, I think it was two. Like, Fortnite is two weeks, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Like they they married, he impregnated her, and two weeks later he left. Or he, within these two weeks, like he impregnated her and then he left, and they barely knew each other. One game of Fortnite later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Liana who tried to live out the game of Fortnite by hiding in a tower. <laughs> it didn't work. She just built a tower around herself. I've never played Fortnite, so I don't get all these references. I played it, I just... like, No, twice. it's a funny meme game. Yeah. All right. Well, let's... Uh, do you guys want to talk about some symbolism? Sure. Yes. There's a lot of stuff here. Really? I'm surprised. Anytime there's a battle, George kind of goes ham and, like, uh, makes a lot of things happen. Um, so, all right. God. Uh, also, when I like before I started into this, if anything like, if you have any questions at any time, just like interrupt me and like, because I want to make I'm this the most tired, like physically at this point of the recording. <laughs> I know, so I can barely even process it. <laughs> but I will. If you if you are confused about anything or whatever, I just want to like make sure that I'm you know making at least a little bit of sense. Uh, so, okay. you know, if you got any questions that and that can help me clarify what I'm talking about, yep. feel free. Sure. Just yell an objection. Yeah. <laughs> and some of this stuff is like a little shaky, cause it, or or just maybe a little out there. Particularly one thing because I came up with it at like 4 a.m. last night as I was rereading this. But I kind of like it. But hey, all right. So first, uh, there, I'm going to mostly be talking about the Tyrion chapter right now. So there is one little quick thing that where Tyrion does another, like a little reenactment of the moon disaster where he and that knight are riding at each other. They're both on horses and the knight has a morning star, which uh, the morning star, it's like a mace. It's like a spiky ball yeah. on a chain. Which is a stupid weapon. The morning star. I mean, I guess you you get some more momentum, but I think a lot of people just hurt themselves with it's that. It's just epic looking. Yeah, it looks cool. I mean, it's a pretty good weapon. It's yeah, it's you a, get a okay. lot of uh, extra force. But anyway, a lot of smash energy. Yeah, the point of the morning star is that it's. The thing is, I have no idea whether a weapon is good or not, unless there's like weapon stats that I can <laughs> look at. This one has an S. Uh, scaling with strength so it's pretty good 
All right. The na- the word Morningstar is like a name for Venus. Um, whenever it's in the eastern sky and it like rises right before the sun. Yes, and then, I heard of that. Yeah, it's like the the morning and evening star. Yes. So yeah, it's a name for Venus, which another name for Venus is Lightbringer, which I, that's old news. We've covered. That. Okay, but like it's just it's just Venus on this planet, right? Like it's not in in planetos. There's no Venus. There. Yeah, I mean, there, I think there is. There's like an equivalent because but it probably um, won't come up at the same part of the sky. Or do you um, do you mean it's like they also have a star that comes up in the morning and it's like an allusion to our Venus? Or how does that work? We haven't seen one that acts that way uh, explicitly mentioned in the story, but there's a lot of. It seems like George uh, Martin, Mister. Mr. Gurham has uh, pretty much just transplanted our astronomy, mm. like real world astronomy, into this series. So, like, um, there's certain things where John mentions the twelve houses of heaven, which are which is the zodiac. He talks about the the seven wanderers that are sacred to the faith of the seven, which is you know the other seven. The seven wanderers are the planets that and the sun and the moon, the planets that are visible. I guess this all just feeds into the theory that I subscribe to in that Planetos is just Earth in the far future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> After a bunch of nuclear Serious. wars, yes. Yeah. And when magic returns, like in Shadow Rock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like adventure time. Exactly. Yeah, there's so there's um it's another thing to get into, but it seems like they pretty much have the same astronomy and like same stars and stuff. So anyway, the point is is that the morning star Regardless of whether or not they have Venus in their world, it's a name for our Venus, and it, you know, by using the name Lightbringer for the for the sword, he's like drawing in that whole family of uh, myth and and stuff that's associated with Venus. So the point is, is that this knight hits Tyrion off of his horse with with the Morning Star, which is like the sun hitting the moon with the with the Lightbringer comet, and then knocking it out of the sky. Tyrion like fumbles around on the earth for a bit, uh, looking for a weapon before he stands up and uses his unicorn horn to spear the his opponent's horse and bring him down. So that's like the meteors hitting the earth and then the rising ash cloud coming up and killing the sun. So, God, all right. There's some complications with this this framework because a little bit later I'm going to assert that this knight is symbolic of the others. And I'm not really sure entirely how to square that yet because I can't really say that he's Azor Ahai and the others. I I can't. I don't know. I, I mean, I can fucking say anything. You can, but... say, you can just say anything. This is your podcast, so you can... <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna post it on Reddit, so you're safe. <laughs> you can you can just go there, <laughs> like a shark. Just... <laughs> Alright, the rest of the stuff I'm gonna talk about um, is first is Tywin and his army. I think we can separate them symbolically. Usually, we like think of an army and its leader as kind of one unit uh, or one symbol, but I think here we can look at Tywin as a solar figure. He's even, like, displaced and separated from the rest of his army uh, because he's sitting way in the back and he's removed. And whenever Tyrion looks at him, he's, like, saying, even from afar and that sort of thing. So I think in Tywin it has, you know, a bunch of lions on him. He's got the two lionesses on his shoulders and their mate is on his helmet. His 
armor is like golden and his rondels are sunbursts. Uh, so I think he's a pretty obvious solar figure here, but his army is the moon. So this is like Azor Ahai using the moon as his weapon. His army is described as an iron rose unfolding and its thorns gleaming. And that's like, you know, the moon as a flower blooming in the sky and exploding and then raining down thorns. So his army is like the moon and it causes the, you know, long night disaster and it includes others in it. And Tyrion is going along with the others right now. I'll get to that in a little bit. But even later in A Clash of Kings, like, I've always kind of conceived of his army and his his war on the Riverlands as being, like, a long night parallel. Because uh, he's they're just destroying everything. They're burning fucking everything. They're killing all the crops. They're enslaving people and, like, killing a bunch of people. Um, it's not normal for, in feudal times, to, like, capture small folk and make them work for you. It's not really, like, part of feudalism to do that, really. Sounds kind of fucked up. Yeah, it's, it's kind of fucked up. <laughs> but Tywin does it. He, like, rounds up all these small folk and brings them to Hall and makes them work for him. And this is, like, the others, you know, enslaving people. So I've always kind of, like, seen that parallel there. We even have so a group of Night's Watch people that Arya's with. You know, they're trying to make their way through this, like, new, this, like, these dark lands. Um, and we also have Beric Dondarrion, who's pretending to be a Zora High, uh, fighting against them. Oh, we didn't talk about that plot spoiler. Oh, that Gregor won? <laughs> yeah. That Beric didn't kill him? <laughs> Spoilers, Beric. <laughs> Beric didn't kill him. That plan didn't work out so good, but we'll get more on that later. Beric's dead and he's just... He's probably dead and not gonna turn up again. That's my theory. R.I.P. Derek. Okay, so... Tywin's army is like the moon meteor, like the explosion, the moon meteors hitting the earth and causing this big destruction. Roose Bolton's army is like humanity fighting against it. I could go into like how maybe there's some some parallels about how Roose Bolton is working against himself by throwing the battle, and that could be a parallel to like humanity uh, doing their petty squallables with the Game of Thrones instead of fighting the real threat, but... The point is, is that the Karstarks like have their their big white sunburst sigil, so they're trying to bring day back. They're trying to end the long night, uh, I think. So Tyrion, I talked about how whenever he exits the Eyrie, he's like coming out of the ice prison, and uh, he's now like the dragon locked in ice that has been freed. He's a Zorhai reborn now, and he joins the others and has to like parlay with them and there's the line way back then when he is not sure whether or not he's their leader or their prisoner which i think is telling us a lot about how last hero will specifically john will interact with the others if he does because this whole thing that Tyrion does parallels john a lot uh, as i'll try to lay out here so he is like embedded in you know the in the army of moon meteors and he has his force of others with him which are the mountain clansmen and he's right now he's fighting on the bad side and he's going along with the other meteors because azor high reborn last hero is a meteor to start out with and eventually turns on his father 
like Tyrion does, who you know was the person that caused the Long Night and starts to try and fight to bring back the day. So first, okay, first time and Tyrion, he's charging along. I'm even like tempted to uh, do like this might be like a little bit out there, but if you imagine the shield wall of the Karstarks and all their spears sticking out of it. If you, like, flip the whole battle 90 degrees and just imagine that as the surface of the earth and the charge, <laughs> the, the charging, okay. all right, you see where I'm going there? Like, the charging, the Taiwan army is like the moon meters falling down to earth into, like, the into the planet but anyway <laughs> and the spear and the spears are weirwoods yeah the spears are the trees you yeah. know it's like a forest yeah. exactly he gets yeah. it <laughs> <laughs> my brain is massive right now right so um the the Karstarks form up their their shield wall and it's called a crescent um and they they're making the wall like the big the big ice wall and gregor plunges through it he breaks open a hole in it and then the mountain clansmen are like the first ones through after that it says that uh shaga plunges into the gap in the wall before it had a chance to close again so this is like what will happen i think is that a moon meteor hits the wall it explodes it and then the others come through and after that moment Tyrion. Uh, he's like overtaken by them. He doesn't. He's not really leading them anymore. And then he gets like caught up in the chaos of the battle. And there's a moment where he looks. He looks at the river. It says like somehow he'd gotten turned around because the river is on his right now. And then after this point, he is now fighting for like the living side for the day. And there's two like specific fights that happen after this. The first one is the there's a tall man with a sword, and this man, before Tyrion charges at him, is trying to grab a horse from a dead burned man who has a spear through him. After that, he fights a knight. So the knight, I said earlier, I think is Tyrion now fighting the others instead of leading them, because... Maybe, maybe it's a long knight. Yeah, so I'm like losing my train of thought, I'm sorry. I'll just start from when he gets turned around. He's fighting with the Mountain Clansmen, they're like the others. He's fighting with Tyr Tywin's army, which is like the disaster, you know, the moon disaster. He's but then he gets turned around and from that moment his um he has two fights. The first one is with this like just regular ass dude who has a sword. There's nothing really special about him except that he's tall. It's kinda hard to like I was struggling with this until I looked at what he was doing, which was grabbing... He was grabbing at the reins of uh, a burned man's horse. The burned man has a spear through him, and normally, as I've said before, horses are like trees, and they're like dragons, and they're like ships. <laughs> <laughs> and like eggs. And like eggs. Yeah, they're kind of like eggs. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're more like what comes out of the egg. But this horse is especially like a tree because uh, it's got a burn man on it with a spear through him and he's dead. But anytime you see somebody with a spear through them or uh, who has been hanged, you know, like with a noose around their neck or anything like this, see if there's any other clues for like Odin stuff. Because Odin, he hung himself on Yggdrasil and he also stabbed himself through with a spear 
uh, and like pinioned himself to it. So this like burn man, he already has the like burned hand, fire transformed stuff of the burn men and you know otherishness of the mountain clansmen and he's also symbolically turned himself into an odin figure because yggdrasil is also like the gallows horse he's all, it's like a horse and a tree so he's riding a horse with a spear on, through him which is like odin riding yggdrasil with a spear through him and then there's this man who tries to steal the horse and he is the penultimate guy that Tyrion fights before he fights this knight so Tyrion changes sides and then immediately fights this man who is trying to steal Yggdrasil. This is Euron. Mm-hmm. Okay. This is Euron, the penultimate villain before the others, who is trying to become a green seer and trying to steal all the magical power. And then what happens is he's winning against Tyrion, even though he's like on foot, he's winning. But then Tyrion's horse bites his fucking whole face off. And then Tyrion hits him in the head with an axe. And it's very funny, and we love to see it. Yeah, it's pretty good. But he was trying to grab a horse, but then a horse was his downfall, which is like how we think we already conceive of Euron as being somebody who's going to grasp for this great power and then be burned by it. Is he going to resurrect Cthulhu or not? <laughs> I don't think he's going to resurrect Cthulhu per se. I think he's going to uh, maybe summon some Krakens. Uh, and I think he's going to help the others, like, in some way, either unwittingly or no. I just want to say when the when the horse bites the, the guy, just says he's laying his cheek bare to the bone so he could also bite him in the butt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which would be way funnier, honestly. Well, Euron, he's going to grasp for this, you know, ultimate power, but it's going to bite him in the butt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's... It all fits. We're Scottish. <laughs> Yeah, I was, like, lying in my bed at 4 a.m., like, and I had this brain blast, and I was like, I might just be delirious right now, but I think I'm onto something here. <laughs> so, yeah, Tyrion beats Euron, and then event- right after that, he fights this knight that has the Morning Star. The knight doesn't have any sigil described. It is really weird that he's a knight, because the Northmen, there's, like, almost no knights in the north, except for the Manderleys. But there's no sigil, so we don't know if he's a Manderley or not. He's just called a knight. And this is, like, a whole other thing that I would have to, like, spend another 20 minutes on, trying to explain why knights are used a lot to symbolize the others. I've already claimed that about the Kingsguard, but I just use that, like, thing and just extend it to all knights, because all knights are pledging their vows to the seven and the faith of the seven is largely used as a way to symbolize like i see other stuff so you're saying all all knights are bastards maybe i don't know i don't get that one i'm like too into the sorry that's an what's an all cops are bastards joke okay okay okay. all right yeah i'll give you the link to like put into the uh description here there's this essay that talks about this concept that knights are usually used as others so Tyrion fights the knight And again, he's losing, and he is, like, almost fucking dead, and then he gets knocked off his horse. He gets hit in the arm by the Morning Star, and it breaks his arm, like the arm of Dorne. So he he gets the hammer of the water's injuries, like I've said, but at the last second, he wins against this knight by pulling the trick of stabbing his head into the horse. The the whole thing about, like, I want to try and reinforce this real quick. He is with the others. They break through the wall. He gets turned around, and then he fights these two villains. 
And I think that this is like exactly what John does, where he's with the wildlings and they're like he joins the wildlings and he and it's after leaving an icy uh, cell, so to speak. But we'll I'll get to that later once we get to Clash. He joins the wildlings at, and they're like they're going down the Milkwater River, which is flowing down. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff. The wildlings are used as. Uh, others symbols too but the point is is that he joins them they get through the wall then he changes sides and then you know he's yet to go fight Euron or or somebody like him yet and he's yet to fight the others but i think even after he's resurrected there's a chance that he'll be joining the actual others for a little while uh and that's stuff that i like conclusions we've come to through other ways so i think this is like consistent uh, I'm probably missing some things, but I don't know. Does that make sense to everybody? Be honest. I have no idea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I started zoning out like halfway through. <laughs> That's okay. I'm I'm still thinking about about uh, uh, ninety degree battle horse sports. Yeah, <laughs> the horse thing is the Tyrion horse thing is yeah. challenging. <laughs> some challenging material. <laughs> Uh, another editor's note, because I missed some things. So the Tyrion horse thing, everybody's kind of already like thought that, okay, if Tyrion is one of the heads of the dragon, he'd get Viserion. And if Euron manages to steal a dragon, it's going to be Viserion. Those are kind of like what everybody's narrowed down to, because Danny has Drogon and uh, Jon will presumably get Rhaegal. And so in this scene, whenever Tyrion's fighting that man, they're kind of fighting over Viserion. And whenever Tyrion's horse bites him, it's described as quick as a snake. So it's more dragon imagery with that the other thing i forgot to mention is that the man with the sword has a gash across his forehead which is uh like third eye opening imagery and the last thing is that the knight that Tyrion fights whenever his horse falls onto Tyr- er, onto the knight it drops onto Tyrion's foot too but anyway it's described like a like an avalanche so more like snowy associations all right wait there's also some general imagery throughout the chapter is that bef- at the start of the battle, it's like before the sun has risen. Oh, also the whole battle is taking place at dawn. So it's already like a battle for the dawn. But uh, before the sun rises, there's a blanket of pale mist that's covering the green fork. And it says that this pale mist is covers the river and the murky green water is flowing underneath, which... I think is like a little hint to uh, talking about the other's connection to the weirwoods because you know the green river is like the weirwood net then Tyrion is talking about his battle strategy is telling his men to stay close to the water and don't let any of our enemies get between us and the and the river and he says that to turn their flank to turn his like his army's flank the starks would need horses that could run on water which a horse that can run on water uh like danny told us is a ship yes i remember that <laughs> yeah horses ships yeah so he's basically telling us that you need green seers to turn the flank of the long knight like to to win against the long knight and he also says uh this is like the others like being super protective of the weirwoods uh, you know this is all theoretical but the idea that uh, i've talked about before where azor high forced them out of the weirwood net and they want to get it back 
if you look at Tyrion at the start of this fight as an other before he changes sides, he's telling his other fellow others to like protect our protect our weirwood net. If they get in between us and our weirwood net, chop off their dicks and throw them into the river. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the the dick cutting thing is important because <laughs> <laughs> It's like, how, okay, so it's like how Bran is now impotent. It's like how uh, whenever Azor Ahai dies to become a green seer, he gives up his potency. He becomes like this, uh, you know, dark sun, uh, Hades guy who doesn't have a dick anymore. It's like you give up your potency, you give up your virility for the green seer power, which is like what Bran does. And Euron's trying to get it by giving up other people's... He's like, you know, he's sacrificing other people, which I think is what Azor Ahai originally did, too. So, yeah. The dick thing, it's, uh, you know, it's male virility. You gotta, like... You're giving up your, your future, like, posterity because you're uh, one immortality for yourself. You know, you're giving up your children to become immortal. And that's bad. It's, uh, it's basically, like... Azor Ahai starts off as the, the, like, Summer King son. He's, like, the virile, like, stag man. But then he, in order to gain immortality, he becomes, you know, the Night's King. He's now the, like, King of Death and, and like, and winter and coldness and stuff. So so basically, the Chad Stag King versus the Virgin Knight. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and... I don't know. I, never mind. I could talk about that for a little bit longer. I could also talk about how... It's literally 1 a.m. here. Okay. Right. <laughs> Let me just make sure... Oh, yeah. There's... um uh, To further uh, reinforce the idea that Tyrion's on the side of the others at the start of the fight, Bronn calls his part of the army crow food, which if they're fighting against the Night's Watch, they're fighting against crows. Feast, feast full crow. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. And also, whenever he beats the knight, whenever he makes the knight's horse fall onto him, the knight gives him a sword. So if this is an echo of something that happened in history, and the others gave the last hero a sword, and then he became the father of the Starks, this could be, like, the original ice. All right. I, uh, my throat hurts now, so I think I'm done. Maybe. <laughs> I, hopefully I made sense. There's a bunch of stuff in the Whispering Wood, too. I think I already talked about how uh, Catelyn is like the weirwood goddess, and uh, yeah. this so. is like a fight happening inside the weirwood net, and uh, blah blah blah. Jamie is a, a dark solar figure, and blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Rob is, uh, you know, last hero or whatever. Yeah. Okay. We need to work on our transitions. I kind of just say like, yeah, I'm done. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that was. So is that everything? That we have to say today. I hope so. I mean, we we said we were <laughs> three we were recording. gonna talk about Miramut's tour, but uh, I think we're gonna talk next about time. her next time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have. She has like time. at least two more appearances. I think. Yeah. Can you remember when we did five chapters a week? Oh Those were God. long. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> we might have to cut down <laughs> to one chapter. <laughs> <laughs> And make it make a two-hour podcast about. We are becoming not a cast. Fuck. 
yeah, I, I don't know. Not every group of chapters is going to be this like crazy for me to have to talk about it for forty <laughs> minutes. Hopefully, you can edit this so you can like yeah make yourself <laughs> seem more concise in post. Exactly. Let's plug stuff and then go die. Yeah, thank you for listening to a song of babies and puppies. It's always good when you listen. Uh, listen to my Scooby Doo podcast, maybe. Uh, listen to my Sophie and Stevens podcast. We have recently rebranded from just the Age of Pots to the Age of Pots colon a Sophie and Stevens podcast. So now, if you type in Sufian into your iTunes search, you're gonna find it. It's good. A <laughs> uh, new episode is on yes. the Superman song and Prairie Fire and Predatory Wasp. Ah, oh, the good ones. Pretty good ones. Next week we're gonna wrap up Illinois. Anyway, Rainer, do you want to plug something? I have nothing to plug. Like, um... watch Pumukle on Amazon Prime. <laughs> watch Pumukle. Yeah. Probably, probably there is a, a Pumukle rewatch podcast coming at some point <laughs> if I'm motivated <laughs> and find someone who who wants to do it with me. I would do it. Amazing. I'll watch it and there, like, I'll just won't understand what's happening and then we can kind of flip the dynamic we have here <laughs> you could analyze the, the mythicism inherent in in pomoko all right thank you for listening okay. fuck jora for listening. Fuck jora did jora. okay fuck jora. yeah he was okay this week but still yes. it was like half fuck good jora. half bad i still don't forgive him miramas did nothing wrong exactly exactly fuck tywin Oh yeah, fuck him too. Littlefinger didn't show up, but fuck him. Fuck Roos. I guess we can say that now after the spoiler section. Yeah, fuck Roos Bolton. Oh, I'm tired. Yeah, me too. I'm really tired.